Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hogan. <laughs> That's the earliest break we've ever had. Anyway, I, j- I wanted to start this episode just by acknowledging a really monumental event that happened in both of our lives recently after literally years. I think it's been approximately four years of us asking for it. Um, Near Automata is out on Switch now. Oh my God, that's right. I, I didn't want to cut you off there, but I was like, what? What happened to me? Like, like, what, happened? <laughs> what was what was this event? You Steven, you're telling me you don't feel different every <laughs> single day you wake up doesn't look a little bit brighter and a little bit more vibrant than the day before. So now we have the Persona games coming to Switch and Nier coming to Switch. Yes, we have a date on that. January 19th. That was the, that was the final announcement of the Persona Fest. That's been going on. Unreal uh, that that was the final announcement. Like the the second to final announcement was that they're coming to Switch. And then the final announcement was the date that they're coming to Switch. Which I'm like very happy to know that. But it is inherently funny as a final announcement to give a date to something that was already announced. To, to an earlier <laughs> announcement that like could have that could have been a package deal. Yeah. Um, just, so, I guess just to anyway. be clear in case in case you don't know what we're talking about. Uh, Atlas did a year long 25th anniversary event uh, celebrating Persona. And I would say the results have been mixed <laughs> in terms of the announcements. I would say the the equivalent experience your brain will go through is the david lynch twitter account where he says it's a friday once again <laughs> like that twitter account and the year long persona festival are equally bizarre and also weirdly mundane as well yeah it was so it was so strange i think i think the best one was the mouthwash like that to this that is like the best (laughs) indication of what that whole event was like but to go from we're releasing these games isn't that cool but like all of this is clearly built building up the persona 6 but then the last announcement is just january 19th is the date of those releases uh it's very very funny i'm glad we're getting them like i'm very happy that that these games are being ported i've been playing persona for golden on my steam deck still and it's uh it's wonderful so i'm happy people can get to play that on the oled so it's just the vita again the vita's back the vita's back yeah yeah the the switch is officially the vita 2 now (laughs) i will say that i've been playing near automata on the switch uh there's been a lot of reporting on that thing being like the quote-unquote impossible port it really is as good as everybody says it is it runs flawlessly and it looks so good even in handheld mode is like incredible i have gotten so sucked into near again even though i've already beaten that game twice <laughs> i think my work here is done the fact that you got that port before me and are telling me how great it is i, I feel like i need to put my money where my mouth was at this point <laughs> i'm just very happy i'm definitely gonna pick it up eventually uh it's so i'm good really happy to hear that yeah, yeah. it's yeah, honestly it's a great game to replay for many reasons yeah i did tweet this but i will say it again on the podcast because i need to i need to make it real i need to speak it into the into the aether mm. um but now that this is done, now that now that our work here is done and Nier Automata is on Switch and we did everything that we want to do, I need to start begging Square Enix for another thing. So my new thing is Dragon Quest X Offline, which is <laughs> a which is a video game we've talked about before on the show. I didn't realize it's out in Japan already. It's already been released. Uh, so we're not even in the realm of like, oh, we're getting towards release and maybe they'll announce that it's coming out worldwide. Like, it's just out in Japan. People are playing it at this point.
point. It is literally what it sounds like. Dragon Quest X is an MMO. Dragon Quest X Offline is them taking the story, like just the main plot of Dragon Quest X, and turning it into a single player game that you can play like by yourself on your Switch with a different art style and everything. And what I've learned about it, and this is why I think it'll actually never come out, but I do feel like I should say it on the show that I would like it to come out in the States, is that apparently when you're done with Dragon Quest X Offline, I can't believe this is real, but when you're done with Dragon Quest X Offline, they give you like a QR code that you scan and then it imports your character from 10 offline into the regular 10. So the whole idea is that Dragon Quest 10 offline is a way to get you through the like early couple expansions so you can get to the new content faster in the in the MMO. I love that. It's incredible, but it really means we'll never, ever see it. Yeah, yeah. When I first said that, I was I thought that you were like, your character becomes immortalized just like as an NPC in the world. <laughs> that's that's what I was in love with. I was like, that's incredible. There's yeah. like the people who say like, there's monsters nearby. Like that's just someone's character. I would love that. Yeah. yeah. That kind of is like Dragon's Dogma, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> it's true. I think, yeah, I think that's a good ask because I think that the next ask for Square needs to be something that's like possible but hasn't been done yet. That's the best kind of ask. Yeah. To- near, near Automata felt like it had to happen at some point. Yeah. I, I think I would also add to that just like the other, like the DS Dragon Quest games. I feel like those are, you know, I mean, yeah. Dragon Quest in general, I, I, I could see a path in which we're going to get more of them. I just don't know whether or not it's going to be direct ports or if they're going to like do these two and a half HD remakes of them. Like I know that's coming out for three yeah. in the in the future, but uh, I would love for more people to get Dragon Quest V. I, I always feel really sad when people have reached out to us, like after, especially after our DS episode, we got a lot of messages being like, I really want to play Dragon Quest V. Like where, where's the best place to get it? And I'm like, do you have $200 or are you tech savvy? Because those are your options. Yeah. Yeah. You, know? you can play it on mobile and that's like maybe your best bet. Yeah. Because I think it's like five bucks. Or something but even like still, that. it would be cool to just have a place for it yeah it's weird that we have dragon quest one two and three on the switch and we're getting three again before we get four five six seven eight nine or ten (laughs) yeah oh eight would be eight would also be a sick yeah uh, eight feels like a no-brainer i am playing the ps2 version of eight on the steam deck and it's uh really good i'm also i started the ps2 version of five on the steam deck and that's also very interesting because that one wasn't translated correct wasn't localized officially Yeah. yeah I feel like the Steam Deck version of the PS2, Dragon Quest 8, might be the one to play. I feel like it's kind of hard between the, the 3DS and the PS2 one. Yeah. There is a lot of extra content in the 3DS Dragon Quest 8, but I digress. A lot of distant wishes for Square one day. But they gave they gave us the one thing I thought would actually never happen. <laughs> Just because, like, I the way that we've talked about Nier Automata on the Switch for so long has always been, like, we keep throwing this wish out into the world and we keep getting all of these great treasures Instead, you know, we're like being blessed with things that aren't what we asked for, which is fine by me. You know, we yeah. have so we're just like buried under a mountain of jewels, but we'll never get, you know, the the Arkansas. Right, uh, right. But uh, here we are. Now we have everything. We have everything we've ever wanted. So um, we got it that, all. That means I just need to stand on an even higher peak and scream even louder. <laughs> <laughs> where the hell is Final Fantasy 2? But really, though, where are those yeah. pixel remasters? Why are they not That's on the true. Switch? They have button controls and controller support on the Steam Deck. Yeah. Bizarre. It's bizarre. Anyway, that's my opening segment. I'm just happy that Nier Automata is on the Switch. I've been enjoying it. Glad we gave it a moment to celebrate. You know, it's it's easy to take things for granted when they finally happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I'm very happy and proud to announce the first jump scare of Into the Aether. 
Uh, we're talking about Overwatch 2 in this section. <laughs> you thought you were in for the usual ride. Like, oh, they're, they're chatting about Dragon Quest ports. Look at these two reliable souls. No, here comes the sucker punch of Overwatch 2. With an average of 1.9 on Metacritic, uh, It's it's got its eyes on the prize, true? baby. Yeah, for the user, uh, user reviews. Oh, yeah. my God. All right, we'll get into that. So... I want to make something clear because we are going to talk about Overwatch 2. That wasn't a bit uh, as much as I had fun setting that up. If you listen to the show, you know our mantra. We only bring to the show games that we are either enjoying or that maybe we're like on the fence about, but there's something to talk about and we think it might make for a good conversation. And it's usually not hard to find that. Very rarely have I like made a plan to check out a game and felt like so uninspired by the experience that I changed my mind like usually we're, we're able to make it work that's interesting i will i'll say that that happens to me pretty frequently oh. <laughs> <laughs> i think you also if i had to guess you are checking out more stuff more often i feel like i am on a slightly slower track yeah i have 263 switch games now an update from last week <laughs> 258 <laughs> regardless the show's intention is to celebrate games we like and on paper overwatch 2 does qualify for both of those things you and i have been playing it we've been having fun yeah. to say it as simply as possible i've been having fun with it whether or not that means i would recommend it <laughs> i've got a laundry list of addendums and footnotes to the sentence i'm having fun i guess you'll hear in a bit <laughs> but it just felt like there was so much to talk about here and it also just feels like such a big moment for this year that I think you and I were like, let's talk about it. Cause you know, to start it all off in terms of like framing this game, cause I think you can't talk about overwatch two without sort of addressing everything around it. It feels like to pretend this is just like a game that came out, feels like holding your breath in some ways. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. So I wouldn't mind. And, and there's so much to like discuss here. So I, I kind of want to frame my thoughts a bit, but I wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about our experience with the first game and kind of what, we were expecting from this and like kind of what we went into this release like hoping wishing uh gearing up for in some capacity that's a that's a lot of different pieces yeah so yeah. just to say my experience with overwatch one i guess pretty quickly uh i really liked it when it came out i played a lot of it i had like a pretty solid crew of people that i played it with like really really frequently it was the game that i was taking a break from destiny 2 to play um and, and destiny yeah. 1 i guess also i don't even think destiny 2 was out actually at that point but anyway uh the the crew that I was playing Destiny with, we would like take breaks and jump into Overwatch because it was really refreshing because generally speaking, the people that I was playing Destiny 2 with, uh, if you're listening to this, you know who you are. They were really, <laughs> really, really good at that game. And we were playing against like people competitively pretty frequently. You know, wow. the, the skill based matchmaking would put us up against people who were like streamers and stuff like all oh, the time. Wow. And I was just to be clear, I was the weakest link by far. It goes all the way back to like when I was on uh, the best swim team in the state but I was definitely like <laughs> the like team spirit guy, you know, like they yeah. just let me on just to like put me in the lanes that nobody else uh, wanted to be in, you know, and swim the events that everybody hated. That was definitely my role. That same exact situation with Destiny. But anyway, it was nice when Overwatch came out because it was like bright and colorful and like everyone could kind of have their own little thing that they were, you know, very good at. It's like, I'm going to sit here and play as the healer. or I'm going to sit here and play as the tank or I'm going to be the DPS or whatever. It was really nice to kind of take a break from from the Destiny of it all on that front. And then slowly but 
early, that game also got really competitive. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, like, Blizzard tripled and then quadrupled down on the competitive scene for that game. And that was kind of my off-ramp. Like, the more time that game devoted towards, like, trying to push people to play competitively and to say, like, you need to stick to these roles, the less I wanted to be doing that because... Overwatch was like an outlet for me. And all that said, I loved it. I had so much fun. I played hours and hours and hours and hours of that game. I have like five or six characters that I like am diehard for. The only Funko Pop I own is of Farah. <laughs> yeah, Overwatch uh, Overwatch was great and I loved it. I was a really big fan. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this because I think the sort of like public opinion of Overwatch and sort of the reaction to now is very interesting to kind of observe. Because I think a lot of people had sort of a similar experience which is weird to say because like everyone has such a different experience with games and with these Mm -hmm. types of games but overwatch felt like a really exciting moment in games and like in pop culture in general like i remember when it was coming out up until that point the only shooter that i had really like put a lot of time into was team fortress 2 that was in the brief window of time where i had a a non-mac laptop yeah and like i feel like a lot of people have that you know shooter or fighter or whatever where they just sort of like okay like this is the game that i'll play after work or i'll play with my friends and it's sort of like yeah this positive ritual i feel like for me games are usually more of a either like a total like party setting like a mario kart environment or like i'm just experiencing this story by myself or maybe with like one or two other people who are watching Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. but i rarely have that kind of like let's get in a few matches game so team fortress 2 was really the first one to grab me and i think at the time that game came out which is i always think it's so funny how modestly the orange box was released and it's just like magnum opus of games (laughs) it was like (laughs) val being like hey while you wait for the next episode of half-life 2 here's like so you know some silly light games to get you through the wait." and it was like team fortress 2 and portal i remember actually i had team fortress 2 on xbox which like even at launch was pathetic because (laughs) there was something where valve didn't update the xbox version of that game because microsoft wanted to charge for updates Mm. and valve was like we're making enough money from hats like we're good (laughs) we're fine with that so if you play it on console it was like you couldn't find a match and if you did it was like the same four people that left their xbox on Mm. but even even with that i loved it and then when i finally got a laptop i was like so all in and and i think that game's success was for a huge number of reasons. It's a great game. It was, you know, really well-designed and well-executed team, cooperative team shooter. But it also felt really original. I'm sure there were games like that that existed, but it was the first time I had played a shooter that wasn't super serious. Like, I had a really fun, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. kind of dark sense of humor. All the levels looked very much like a Wally Coyote setting. And yeah, absolutely. There were really fun shorts, like Meet the Medic or Meet the Heavy, Meet the Soldier, where, like... Yeah you got a sense of who these characters were. And I loved that. I mean, I really, it actually, I don't think it's a coincidence that this is the one shooter I liked. And I also like fighting games because they're all about the characters. Like I like having that sort of relationship and almost maybe wondering like outside of this match, like what's, what's soldier like really, you know, <laughs> who, you know what's demo man? Like that wasn't <laughs> consciously happening, but it was definitely like the appeal of the game for me. It was yeah. like a really nice tone 
that I preferred over like Call of Duty or, or even Halo. And Blizzard's strategy for a long time was like looming in a dark tower and seeing what genres were popular and then being like, we're going to make our take on this. And it's yeah. guaranteed to ruin your life for six months. Yeah, it's like you Apple <laughs> making the iPod. Like MP3 right. players have been around for five years and then Apple's like, we invented the MP3 player. Exactly. Like, I mean, you kind of did in a way because this one's so much better than all the other ones that this is the only one that matters anymore. I feel like similarly when Overwatch dropped, it was like that was the last time I heard about Team Fortress 2. To be fair, like there was a huge place for a new game like Team Fortress 2. Mm. So like because Team Fortress 2 came out in what, 2007 and Overwatch came out in 2016. So it had been like a decade of Team Fortress 2 basically going unrivaled. And like people still played it. I'm sure people still do play it in some capacity. But, you know, it's only the people that have been playing for forever or pros at this point, I imagine. So Overwatch, I think, had this massive level of appeal where one if you were a fan of team fortress 2 here's the new team fortress 2-esque game but they're also incorporating a lot of like league of legends moba side to it so every character has like special moves and and also just like the art style and the character design like there was such variety and it almost feels like kind of lab made in some ways where it's like you know (laughs) no matter like what genre of fiction you like there's a character in that cast that's going to appeal to you you know there's the cowboy the girl in the mech there's the grim reaper like whatever <laughs> whatever <laughs> genres you're into there's something for you and it was just really fun like it was it was a really cool event where like everyone i knew was playing that game in some capacity and i think it was you know i imagine like there was a lot of like marketing for that game and a lot of like hype to make that game as successful as possible but it, it just felt like a lot of people were coming into that game on multiple angles of interest. So you had, again, like, okay, I want to play the game that's like TF2 or like, oh, these characters look fun and interesting. I want to play that game and see what that's all about or, right. you know, whatever. It was like one of the very few times I think a game has been announced through a cinematic trailer that brought everybody in in like a really big way and no one was asking to see gameplay. You know, it, it was. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of time I, there are a lot of games that are kind of riding the coattails of what over. Overwatch pulled off at their very first reveal event that I, I still think about all the time. The the uh, it's it's like a little short animation of these two kids walking through this like Hall of Heroes kind of place, this like big museum filled with all of the like great heroic deeds of the Overwatch team and stuff. Uh, and I think Winston is like there and like bumps into them. And, you know, it's like this big kind of awe inspiring moment that that just like captured everybody's imagination so quickly. And I I also think it's probably worth mentioning that at the time, Blizzard was like a company people adored. Like Blizzard yeah. had so much public goodwill at that point. It is not at all. And we'll get into this later, but it's not at all what it is now. It It's post Activision acquisition still. So it's still Activision Blizzard at this point. But even at that point, like Activision was making games people liked blizzard was you know pretty much at the top of the world world of warcraft still existed but it was clear that they were like going and poking out at other things and there's this long long arduous and well-reported development cycle of another mmo that they were trying to work on that was supposed to be a first person shooter it's going to be called titan that they like stripped down made it the most bare bones thing possible and then released it as overwatch and i think that like years long reporting on titan kind of like paved the way for people being excited about this thing and when it was announced and it was like so 
so so high quality like immediately it was, yeah. it was i think really really compelling to a lot of people and it was clear that it was trying to buck every single possible trend of the first person shooter competitive <laughs> space possible all simultaneously you know because as you just mentioned like call of duty was the thing that yeah. was at the time that was very much still the thing yeah and i just i don't really know how much i've talked about my overwatch days but like that is still my most played game on playstation even alongside persona 5 royal and skyrim i have played <laughs> overwatch the most and that was like in 2017 because i got my ps4 in 2016 mm-hmm. and it came with uncharted 4 last of us remastered and i also purchased fallout 4 and overwatch and pretty good collection there fallout 4 is fine but you know everything <laughs> else is pretty good but i basically only played overwatch for about a year straight like that was mm. like i would come home from work and i would play that game for like an hour or so basically daily and it was just a really positive ritual for me it was always nice like catching up with a friend over a game of Overwatch, very much like Smash Brothers in some ways. Yeah. We just had that sort of like thoughtless, like let's get a match in or two. You know, it was nice that like the the games weren't super long, so you can kind of, you know, go at your own pace. And I really liked that there was a option where it was an arcade mode where basically whenever you died, uh, you would randomly respawn as a different character. I love that mode because one, it actually does teach you how to play everybody pretty mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And two, you don't have to think about it at all. It's, it's total nonsense. Like, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) There are teams because usually you can't have two of the same character on a team. Thank God, because so many Team Fortress 2 matches were like four spies and a a heavy, (laughs) you know, Uh, but in this mode, like you could theoretically. So you might just have like two Orisas and a Bastion spawn. I loved that. And I also like just being like, okay, I'm not going to care if I win or lose. I'm just sort of like experiencing this. Yeah. But then there were other times where I would play ranked and I would get more into it. And I played as uh, largely as Zenyatta and Lucio, but also D.Va and a little bit of the other tanks if I needed to switch. And I, I liked having like, if we're not doing well who do I switch to and why and I I just I just loved it it's not a hot take I think everyone loved Overwatch in their own way and Mm -hmm. I don't know if there was really like I feel like these stories always end with like a you know creepy music like but then the day where they released you know whatever but I just think like you said there was a point where Blizzard clearly was prioritizing competitive play or at least they were really pushing it to be an esport That was around, I think, 2018 when I noticed that happened. Like a lot of the seasonal events would be about like esports, like in the game. Yeah. And you could just tell, like, even if you weren't aware of what was happening in like the meta or anything, you could tell that there was like an overzealousness on Blizzard's end of of taking all feedback constantly. And I think this is a really interesting conversation to have because taking player feedback is an inherent part of all game design even if it's not after the fact like you have to play test you have to like see what people who aren't working on the game think of your game and make tweaks from there to make the best possible experience right and for a game like overwatch you definitely want to pay attention to what people are saying and honestly some characters were completely busted when the game came out you know mm-hmm. so like it was cool that they were paying attention and the flip side of this is like smash brothers brawl where that game comes out and is busted you can trip randomly and meta knights unstoppable and it never got updated <laughs> It was just like, it was like, oh, that's it. That's it forever. And guess what? No one plays Brawl competitively anymore. So like, I don't think you want to do that. But I also think that taking every note and and acting on it so soon, because the thing is, and I know very little about this process, but what I've 
kind of observed is that what players are saying about characters when the game comes out or like really early on when a character is introduced is usually not entirely accurate. Like you really do need time to figure out like, okay, who plays well? What's the potential of this character? The fighting games and and just competitive games in general that are played at this level, the ones that have been around for a long time, there's so much creativity at this point with like how people play certain characters and what is discovered about certain characters that like there is value in kind of leaving it and just seeing like well maybe eventually people will learn this about this character oh wait i never realized that if you do this you know there's so many variables it's hard to foresee so i think to go back to the smash brothers comparison this it's another great comparison to make is super smash brothers melee which similarly has never gotten an update obviously because it was a gamecube disc right (laughs) but Although competitive play, generally speaking, in that game is kind of relegated to a couple specific characters. It's, you know, your Marths and your Foxes and your Falcos. I I think a lot of people just assumed that they were the best characters for a really long time in the competitive scene because the best players kept winning as those characters. But slowly over the past like five or six years, we started to see some other people come up in the ranks in the competitive melee scene that are like, there's a Kirby out there and there's a Yoshi out there and there's like a peach that absolutely like dominates people. And there's one person who is like single handedly making Jigglypuff one of the best characters in the tier list. <laughs> Hell yeah. Because, you know, you just sit there long enough and, and eventually the fan base is going to be like, I can't watch two foxes fight each other until the end of time. That just can't, <laughs> that can't be the best version of Super Smash Brothers Melee, you know? Um, yeah. And and they just need and, and feel the desire to get better with somebody else. And I really, I really appreciate that. And I feel like you're so right about this, you know, where a game like Overwatch, for example, or, you know, Destiny getting patched and updated so frequently, like doesn't allow for people to kind of experiment and like find counters for some things. There are obviously every once in a while, like weapons or characters or abilities that are like so obviously overpowered yeah. that, you know, you just, you just need to address it here and there. You know, like if a thing is bugged, for example, like just patch that thing. But I think you're right. Like you need time for the mountain to settle and for all the rocks to get in place before you start drilling into the side of it again. And it's really hard because with a company the size of Blizzard and the amount of people playing these games, you're going to get thousands of requests like every day you know so like i don't think there's like a perfect answer to this but i do think there's a middle ground which is what we've been kind of alluding to and what i really love and i think what i point to as a good example of communication in regards to balance updates is what arc systems does with guilty gear strive where every time they patch that game they will release developer journal entries saying like here's what we change and why and like we'll give like an explanation as to why they adjusted certain things and nine times out of ten they're buffing everyone which i love like they very rarely like when that game came out soul bad guy was unstoppable and like everyone was unstoppable in their own way but he was especially unstoppable and then they buffed him that was their their reaction (laughs) (laughs) they they nerfed some moves but a lot of times you'll see their explanation they'll say like we like this move is really popular people use this move a lot but no one was using these three moves for the same character so we buffed those moves yeah you know and it's like now you have more tools and the character is going to be played in a more interesting way so now like it won't it won't just be like you're losing to the same attack over and over again but maybe like this will change the potential of the character yeah but it did did become clear at a certain point i I think at least on, on the overwatch end that blizzard was like really prioritizing like we're not trying to make these characters more fun to play as we're trying to balance everything so this can be a balanced esport. Um, yes. Because I again the, the game that I played, you know, semi-competitively 
Ghibli was Destiny for a long time, and that game also similarly, the, Bungie, the developers of that game, had a thing that they release still to this day every single week called This Week at Bungie, where they will talk about every single change they've made in the game and why they've done that and what they're working on. And it's really cool. It's like a really, really interesting, um, transparent look at how to keep a live service game going forever, which is really cool. But every once in a while, you would have moments where you're reading that thing and just be like, oh, yeah, they're like, you can tell by reading This Week at Bungie who they're designing the game for. And I feel like when I heard about the patch notes from Overwatch, it was clear they were designing the game to be played as an esport, whereas Bungie always had this kind of well, not always, but frequently had this kind of laser sight on. We really do want this to be a game for everybody. Like we want Destiny to be played by everyone from the highest competitive skill ceiling players, obviously, to the people who will never even touch PvP and only do the raids because they think it's like fun to play in a team of six and like solve puzzles. Like they really they really wanted to account for that entire play space. Yeah. And I feel like at a certain point, you and I felt the same way with Overwatch one. That wasn't the case anymore. Like I, as a person who is playing this casually to take a break from playing stuff competitively, could no longer compete or like just felt like I was ruining games by not playing optimally. Yeah. And and to be clear, like what would happen is there were there were more than a few characters that every couple months would be fundamentally different. So like if you played as Symmetra, yeah, she was dramatically changed pretty frequently. Same with uh, with Torbjorn and a few others. Diva, they just gave rockets one day just for fun. And that's pretty cool. But so I'm glad that none of the characters I played ever got that dramatic change. But like even as an observer, it was kind of jarring to see because it made you trepidatious of learning anybody and fear of like, well, if I like really try to get like down with these mechanics, I don't know if one day they're just going to remove this move entirely. Yeah. You know, not even like, oh, it does less damage, but like Reaper is a healer now. Like, cool. Like, I don't know what to do with them anymore. (laughs) So I had um, that with Farah like a lot, because as I mentioned, Farah was like the character I played as the most. And the the tweaks they kept making to her to her kit was like. So just to be clear, the way Farah works is uh, she can launch herself into the air. One of her abilities is like launch herself into the air. uh, And that's on a cooldown. But also when you're in the air, you can hold down one of the triggers to essentially like hover in the air and you have a set amount of fuel that you can use and when you're done using all that fuel you fall back to the ground and as long as your feet are on the ground or as long as you're not holding down that fuel button it'll refill slowly um so ideally there should be this really good balance between using the launch button and then hovering until the launch button is available again so you're never touching the ground the idea with farah is to be in the air as much as humanly possible because everybody else is fighting on the ground and and you need to be on the top looking down and then her gun is literally just rockets and you just do a bunch of splash damage and they fire very slowly and you need to be like leading characters you know you can't shoot where they are you need to shoot at where they're going to be things like that and the tweaks that kept making nafara were increasing the cooldown of her launch and decreasing the amount of fuel she had so you were constantly falling out of the sky and at that point was when i felt the same way you just described which is like I have spent literally like maybe an entire year learning how to get good as Farah. And now she's at a point where I just feel like I can't do that anymore. And that's when I started like you playing random heroes like all the time because I just like didn't care about who I was playing as anymore. I just liked Overwatch. So I just started doing that or playing Mayhem, which was the other thing. Yeah. And I think this is just like I think with any creation, like any any work of art at a certain point, you can't take all the feedback. And at a certain point in a game like Overwatch, it's not going to ever be purely balanced. There's always going to be characters with some kind of 
kind of edge. And like at a certain point, that's kind of what makes it fun. It's almost like salt where it's like you need to use salt in cooking. Mm-hmm. But if you use too much, it's going to be inedible. But if you if you use nothing, who's going to want to eat it? You know, so it's like <laughs> you kind of want a little bit of middle ground. But honestly, like for me, like that was definitely the main factor of being like, ah, this isn't really it actually doesn't feel the same. But I had also played it so much that I just kind of needed a break. And there wasn't really anything new. Like there would be seasonal events like Junkenstein's Revenge or some fun, which was great PVE yeah. modes. But at a certain point, like basically like 2017, my go to game 2018, I played it a lot still. But then eventually I would just log in for whatever the season thing was. You know, so like if there was like Lucio Ball or Jungle Sense Revenge, I would log on for that with some friends, and then maybe drop it. Mm-hmm. So that was my experience. I feel like everyone had their own sort of falling off of Overwatch and plenty of people still played, to be clear. But like everyone was playing it. Right. Yeah. It was a huge, huge, unavoidable like hit when it came out. And and slowly but surely you saw people falling off. And I think the people who were still playing were the people who were keeping up with like patch notes and trying to play competitively and like climb ranks. Like that, yeah. was, that was really what people were into with Overwatch by the time it flipped over to the new thing. And I think it's really fascinating to think about the it's almost like Overwatch one came out at the best and worst possible time because that was like, OK, this is the exact time that TF2's like time in the spotlight is kind of slowly coming to a, a respectful end. The applause is like, you know, people mm-hmm. are leaving the theater. Overwatch shows up, steals the spotlight. Great. The next year, PUBG and Destiny 2 come out. And then 2018, Fortnite comes out. And (laughs) this wasn't my experience. I wasn't pulled into Fortnite, but I can't imagine that didn't pull some players away. Like people who are maybe playing whatever the new game was or what their friends were playing. I imagine a lot of people who played Overwatch moved to Fortnite. I I know of many myself, like in in immediate relation to me. I got to be honest, the thing about Fortnite that I think is really worth bringing up here is like, although, you know, Fortnite got famous because of streamers like Ninja, for example, uh, Tyler Blevins playing the game like competitively on Twitch. The fact was that Fortnite was like mostly a kind of casual game. It was like a casual shooter. Yeah. You, know, you would jump in or a hundred people and you just kind of like tried your best. And that was it. Um, and I feel like it, it's no small surprise that Overwatch becoming more and more for competitive players left this wide open hole for a more casual game to take the spotlight. And like, you know, obviously the team over at Epic have capitalized on that in maybe the wildest way we've ever seen in the games industry right Fortnite 2018 and Fortnite now are completely different mediums at this <laughs> point like it's not even yeah. but I think you're right to point out that like the appeal for a lot of people was like a hangout game and now it literally is a hangout game it's like yeah. Fortnite at this point is more about existing in Fortnite than it is about being a game even yeah. in some capacity so I, I think that all of that is really worth considering with like where Overwatch is and then you know in the lead up to Overwatch 2 like all these like horrifying reveals about Blizzard and their toxic workplace conditions and just like sadly these stories are not uncommon but like it's even like especially horrifying yeah profoundly troubling yeah. and and to and to be honest like I I imagine you felt the same way I did, but like there's even a trepidation about even like talking about Overwatch on the show because you and you and I frequently will like kind of avoid companies that are notably fucking terrible. And like Activision Blizzard is maybe, you know, some of the worst of the worst shit possible. I mean, they're under active investigation currently by the state of California for their uh, horrible labor practices. Uh, They, you know, needed to change a name of one of the characters in Overwatch uh, for a whole bunch of reasons that I don't want to get into on the show. There's just like 
like an endless list of bullshit, you know, like the stuff that Activision Blizzard has pulled off, the stuff that Bobby Kotick, the CEO, has has gotten yeah. away with. Man's a fucking monster. It makes me it makes me hesitant to talk about Overwatch 2 on the show. But simultaneously, it was like, honestly, and as with you, was such a huge part of my life for such a long period of time that like, even though it seemed like a shit show in the lead up, I really wanted to know if it was going to recapture that magic for me and like make me feel okay. Not about Blizzard, but like about Overwatch again, you know, because Overwatch had faded out kind of unceremoniously and just kind of let a bunch of other things run rampant in its place. It didn't have it didn't have the nice sunset applause of Team Fortress 2. It just kind of like ended kind of sadly, at least for me. Yeah, someone pulled the cord out of the amp and just everyone was confused and upset. It was like, all right, well, there's another concert down the street so i guess i'll go to that one and that <laughs> yeah, one's exactly. free uh <laughs> there's a free concert let's leave this opera hall yeah, yeah. so I, I was i was curious if they could kind of recapture the, the feeling that i had when overwatch one first came out it's really hard to know exactly what to do in these situations because like on one hand you hear this news about a corporation and and you don't want to support it in any way and especially for us like it's like we bring games to the show we are in some ways endorsing it so that's why you and i kind of were like no nah, we're not touching blizzard for a while yeah you know and i think about when red dead 2 came out and that was also in light of all the crunch culture at rockstar and there was a lot of calls to like boycott red dead 2 and a lot of the people that like actually worked on the game were like don't we'll get fired or like <laughs> we won't get right. our bonus you know like it, yeah negative sales of the game will directly impact the actual people who are working on it and not the like cartoonishly villainous ceo or whoever yeah this was thankfully a situation where it wasn't like us walking into a GameStop and purchasing a copy of overwatch 2 because the game has gone free to play at this point that, that yeah. was one of the big shifts of this release was that overwatch 1 to overwatch 2 is now a free to play experience instead of i think it was 30 dollars to get in initially yeah, I, I wasn't even like we knew it was coming out this year and I just had sort of said to myself that I wasn't going to get it. But as it was approaching and then learning it was free to download, I was like, well, why not? You know, like even if I don't bring it to the show, why not? Like, just check it out and see. Yeah. And to pile onto that list of just like weird and awful spotlight setting, just sort of like a K-lid red sun of a spotlight <laughs> on this game. The they the original pitch was that this was going to exist alongside Overwatch 1. And then more recently, it was revealed that they are actually replacing Overwatch 1 with Overwatch 2. So like Overwatch 1 will cease to be and Overwatch 2 will 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 be the new game. Now what this means is so I actually have a I have a physical disc of Overwatch 1. And weirdly enough, if you have a physical disc of Overwatch 1 and you put it into your PlayStation or your Xbox or whatever, it will load up Overwatch 2. So like it really <laughs> like thankfully I don't just have a meaningless disc that has, you know, Tracer on the cover. It's it's it is the game, but it's so bizarre. And I understand that they can't support those servers forever, but like it was a really weird decision to say that initially and then be like, oh, actually like the game you know is going to cease to exist and Overwatch 2 is going to be the new thing. So outside of just like hey, we're replacing Overwatch 1. What The big pitch of Overwatch 2, the reason that people were excited about it when they first announced it, was this idea that it was going to not just be PvP anymore. These awesome little PvE experiences like Junk and Signs Revenge, as you talked about, and and like Lucio Ball and all the, all these actually I guess that was also PvP but anyway like Junk and Signs Revenge being this kind of like little cinematic like okay cooperative team based experience you know wave based shooter thing they were like we're taking that idea this this thing that people love whenever we roll a new 
one out. And we're going to turn that into an entire half of this video game. Overwatch 2 is going to be half PvE, where you will team up with your friends and go through actual story missions. And we're going to tell like a compelling, interesting narrative in the world of Overwatch, akin to the things you've been seeing in all of these cool cinematics for years as we announce new characters. You're going to learn more about them. You're going to learn more about this world. It's going to be really cool. Simultaneously, we're going to do this massive overhaul of the PvP that you know and love and turn it into something that we feel like better represents what Overwatch can be in the future. And these two halves of the thing will be Overwatch 2. Look forward to it when it comes out. Then like a year went by and we didn't really hear a whole lot about it outside of the PvP change was that they were dropping it from six players per team to five players per team. So it's going to be 5v5 now. And that was going to change the team comp dynamic from being two tanks two DPS, two healers, to now one tank, same with the others, which was very interesting. Didn't hear a whole lot about the PvE stuff. More and more time went by, and there started to be some more reporting. I think there was some on Bloomberg, there was some elsewhere, where we started to learn more about the internal workings of Activision Blizzard. You know, a lot of the horrible shit that we brought up earlier also falls in line with the reporting that we've heard about the development of Overwatch 2 and the PvE, which is essentially that, like, management over Blizzard is obviously, like, hugely problematic and is not leading this team to be successful in the ways that they want to be. But simultaneously, Activision is looming large over this entire endeavor and saying like you need to produce a fucking hit and you need to release it on time forcing this team who had this grand vision of making what is essentially destiny but in the overwatch universe and instead saying just release the pvp as overwatch 2 we're gonna have this big exciting splashy announcement and this big release date of overwatch 2 but it's not gonna have any of the stuff that people were excited about that's the thing that bums me out the most before we even get into like playing overwatch 2 like my expectations were pretty low because it's like i've played overwatch before i kind of know what the pvp is gonna feel like i was really excited and really interested in coming back into the fold and seeing what this pve stuff was gonna be like because this idea and and you know the thing that i think bungie does so well with destiny is saying we are making a game for everybody you don't need to be competitive you don't need to be like sweaty and screaming into a microphone (laughs) to enjoy destiny you can just jump into a world and you can just like you know match make with randos and have like a pretty cool chill experience just making your way through an interesting story repeat those missions because they have like this infinite replayability you're constantly going to get new cool rewards etc etc that was really enticing to me and i was less interested in the pvp side simultaneously we also heard about the monetization shift which was a removal of loot boxes because overwatch one i think like famously i would say overwatch one was the like totem that everybody held up as like this is why loot boxes are bad and as they started proliferating through like mobile gaming and everything else it became clear that that loot boxes were like an extremely predatory nightmare scenario yeah um that was just like preying on people with gambling addictions and and creating like a really really like hostile space for people who um just wanted to like buy skins they just couldn't do that you just needed to buy loot boxes and it's interesting because i feel like overwatch one you and i were both talking recently about all the stuff that we had unlocked in the first game like that's all from just like playing for free and unlocking loot boxes here and there and like getting a cool thing every once in a while but you know there are instances in which they would have like timed exclusive loot boxes that were tied to events that were only going to be around for like two weeks and it's like oh if you didn't get the thing you wanted just playing for those two weeks you're suddenly dropping like a hundred bucks 
on loot boxes to try and get the one skin that you were hoping to get the whole time. And maybe you don't even get it. Really bad. Really predatory. Yeah. And it got to the point where eventually multiple countries around the world have just outlawed the practice entirely. Loot boxes in a lot of countries just can't exist anymore. Um, so it became clear that Overwatch 2 was going to need to shift its monetization in some way, shape or form, especially going free to play. And now we have what is a battle pass attached to Overwatch 2. And I don't think I have anything else to add to this preface before we talk about what the game no, is like. No, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that all up. <laughs> and also, uh, the battle pass will be including new characters and PvE chapters, basically. Yeah, that... Which that, is especially damning. <laughs> yeah. The PvE stuff that I was excited about and talking about before, it seems like is going to get chopped up into little bits and then released alongside the battle passes. So you need to buy the battle pass to get into the story of Overwatch 2. So it's not like a, it's not like a we've released the PvP and then, you know, a year or two down the line, we're going to release the PvE. It's like, oh no, they're going to trickle it out slowly. And here's the thing. I feel like there are very often, unfortunately, moments in the world of video games where there's something that happens and it gets wildly blown out of proportion and you and I usually try to be like hey it's just Pokemon calm down like it's usually like <laughs> you know and I'm not saying like yeah. there's no condoning harassment or anything wild but like I really do get why people are rightfully pissed there's so much yeah. to be like actually angry and disgusted at here just choose one thing there's Blizzard as a business there's like how they're treating the devs working on this game there is what we ended up getting the fact that Overwatch 1 is gone now, it's just so unfortunate. And and the biggest thing I feel is disappointment. Even when I'm playing the game and like having a good time with you and like yeah. wanting to play another round, like it all feels a little sour. And I don't really know. Like, I feel like a lot of big companies are like, well, you know, there's always a turnaround, like you know, cigar. And I don't know why I'm J.K. Simmons all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like there's this there's this idea in a lot of big companies where like things get pushed to come out and then they're like, we'll fix the rest later. You know, mm. we'll do a Final Fantasy 14. We'll right. do a Destiny like it will eventually take shape. And honestly, I feel like in this case, unless they really, really, really go out of their way to atone. <laughs> The damage is done. I don't think that this game, sadly, is ever going to really have the same following that the first game did, just based on how it's come out. And that's really a shame because from what I've played... I do think that, you know, if you want to look at like a, a checklist of their goals, like what was the, what was the goal with Overwatch 2 resetting, like kind of starting fresh. OK, we're going to keep the same roster characters that we had in the first game, but we're going to like tweak everyone again and make some changes and go five versus five and make it feel like a good new foundation for PvP and for playing in general. And honestly, like I'm not I'm not uh, knowledgeable enough of the like meta or of the characters to know if that's the successful or not but someone who has played this game a lot who is returning to it i do think they've succeeded at making it feel fresh like i do feel like when i'm playing a match it feels good i think the the pivot from 6v6 to 5v5 honestly it sounds so unexciting but i do think it benefits the game greatly i think it really does make you prioritize teamwork and if you are not doing your role like you're going to feel it in the match yeah so like i think everyone who was tasked with working on the pvp side of this game like did a great job and it's so frustrating to feel that because it's like if everything else was here this could have been what everyone wanted it to be i think everyone had a place in their heart for overwatch 2 to like be the event that it could have been and it's it's such a bummer 
her. Yeah. In terms of like whether or not you should play this game, I think like take everything we've said and follow your heart truly. Like I, I can't in good faith recommend this game to anybody. But the fact that it is free, if you are someone who liked Overwatch as much as I do, I think you will enjoy going back to it. I think it will feel nostalgic and you'll have a good time. But whether or not it's a game that I'm going to keep playing or whether it's going to succeed is like the next chapter of this game. I have no idea. At this point, I feel like the best future for Overwatch is someone else buying it from Blizzard. Because, <laughs> like, I just don't know. I don't know what yeah. can happen next. There's There needs to be so much undone to regain, like, that faith that they once had in people. I am so, so with you on that. Like, I, I just, first of all, right right with you on, I, I can't recommend it to people, obviously. Like, I'm checking out more out of, like, morbid curiosity to see if, like, you know, the thing feels good again. And, uh, spoiler, it does. But, I mean, there's just so so much. The thing I always come back to, there there was a moment that I had that I brought up on the Last of Us 2 bonus that we did uh, with AJ, where you just keep having these moments while you're running through the Last of Us Part 2, where you like sprint through a, an alleyway for five seconds, and it's like the most high-def, beautiful alleyway you've ever seen in a video game, and you know that like somebody needed to work like nights and weekends and like yeah. not be with their family to make that happen. I feel that way a lot playing Overwatch 2 also. like Knowing what's going on behind the scenes, knowing that uh, this like really ambitious and like honestly like pretty positive idea for a video game got like ruined by weird corporate weirdos is like such a fucking bummer but all of the changes that they've made to the pvp are like good and i'm enjoying them i agree with you about the 5v5 i think it's like significantly better the game feels exciting again to me in a way that it really hasn't before i think a piece of it is like i missed like 10 character reveals so i'm like learning about all these new <laughs> characters and all their abilities and that's really cool i'm like revisiting some of my old favorites and seeing where they're at like farah feels great again which is really cool and i do like a, a lot of the character design is fun with like these characters have kind of all aged six years so like yeah soldier has a big beard now and like you know it's 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 hard not to get a little choked up when you're seeing your old favorites and they have like they like double down on the unique dialogue between characters which is honestly always fun to hear yeah and honestly like i you know I will probably keep playing it on a casual level, but I I don't I'm not gonna get the battle pass. Like I refuse. Like yeah, I, same. you know, in, in these games, like every now and then, like, you know, for something like League of Legends Wild Rift, like I'll fold eventually. You know, they'll they'll get me every every blue moon. But like in this particular case, like I just I can't. Like the only reason I'm playing it is because it's free. And you know, yeah. I'm really curious what will happen because like I can't help but imagine like there's gotta be something changing i just i wish that we were in a world where like these changes for example like it was impossible to get into a match the first day and there were a lot of really serious bugs like none of my stuff carried over that was a very common issue it was like all your skins and collectibles from overwatch one were supposed to carry into overwatch two seamlessly but they basically just didn't for like most people yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty serious when you remember that like there are a lot of people who spent like a lot of real money and time to get all this stuff you know yeah. and even right. for me like i didn't really like I couldn't tell you like all the stuff that I had, but I'm like the idea that I just like lost all of that because they wanted to replace the first game was like really distressing. Mm. And the thing is also added to the pile. <laughs> if you don't have Overwatch one save data, you don't even start with the full roster. You have like five characters to begin with. Yeah, you have to unlock them like Super Smash Brothers, uh, like very similarly. Like you need to every time you continue to play matches, it adds to this like how many matches have you played number. And at certain intervals, you'll start unlocking characters. It's like one match. 
match, then two matches, then five, then 10, then 15, then 20. And I think that last character you unlock, I forget who it is, but I think you need to play like 150 matches of Overwatch 2 to get the final character, uh, which is wild. I, I understand that kind of like slow reveal to not overwhelm you with options, but like for a lot of people like myself who had 300 hours of Overwatch 1 logged, it was really a bummer to have all of this in the back of my head and then like I couldn't even play as my favorite characters in the first day because none of that carried over. Yeah, right. But all that to say, like the people who actually have to work on fixing that are not the like they're just employees of the company, you know, and they turned mm-hmm. it around in like a day. So credit where credit's due, like the people who work like for support at Blizzard did a great job. You know, and it's unfortunate that like in these corporate environments, it's the the leadership that pushes these things, despite I imagine most of the company knowing it's not ready. And then they have to be the ones to fix it. Like the people that were the ones saying it's not ready yet have to face the repercussions of the management saying, I don't care. Push it anyway. I'm on vacation. You know, like (laughs) it's just uh it's infuriating. Yeah. So at a certain point, it's also unsustainable because we see time and time again when these giant corporations don't even know what the hell they're making and they're just prioritizing, I want to make the biggest and loudest and most money making thing ever make it happen over the weekend. Like that never works. And it also creates worse games and then they lose to the competitor who is maybe actually making a game that they care about so like what i hope it shouldn't come to this but i can't help but hope that like there is a lesson learned here from those in positions of power who like do have the ability to create better working environments and to like listen to the people that actually have a vision for these products and allow them to create it rather than arbitrarily forcing out a half-baked thing and now we have you know 1.9 on metacritic so congratulations you know like yeah yeah it's it's um it's in a pretty brutal place i i have two kind of major takeaways from this one of them is like personally how do i feel about it like what did i want out of this you know sitting down to play it knowing everything that i knew going in like what did i walk away from this feeling and 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 the answer is like i wrote a piece about this on on my on my website but just to like double down on it i think that overwatch 2's shift from loot boxes to the battle pass has like dramatically changed the way everyone will interact with the game and for me personally like as soon as i jump into a new game that has a battle pass that's asking me to do like all these character specific challenges and like come back daily and get like daily rewards and weekly rewards and do all this stuff it's like suddenly like the fun is sucked out of it like overwatch one just to be clear not condoning loot boxes fucking nightmare practice yeah but the way overwatch one worked was like you would just play the game because the game was fun and by doing that you would every once in a while unlock something and that was like fine like i was not playing the game constantly to unlock stuff via loot boxes i was playing the game because the game was fun and now overwatch 2 like is demanding my time in a way that it hasn't earned And that's kind of the biggest thing for me is like I came into this saying I need Overwatch 2 to prove me wrong because I was coming into it with all these preconceived notions and all this baggage about Activision and Blizzard and the game itself. And the game didn't prove itself to me. The game is fun, but the game is also constantly asking me for $30 for a battle pass so I can maybe unlock the Farah skin that I want at level 60. Like, yeah. I'm not even I've been playing like pretty much daily still since it came out and I'm not even at level 10 yet. Yeah, it's really slow. And it's just, it, usually in these battle passes, there's like the free track and the premium track. 
And it's always the case that the free track is not as exciting, but it's like especially not exciting. You get like Excel files instead of skins <laughs> and like yeah. just like, you know, like, oh, cool. I got a voice line for a character I haven't unlocked yet. So. Yeah. So for me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm walking away from this experience just thinking like, you know, I'm enjoying the game. I like the changes they've made. I think there's some like really yeah. cool stuff going on here and I'm, I'm having fun. Like if you and I hop into matches every once in a while, like I think that's going to be a good time. But jumping into the game and having the first thing I see be like, please buy our battle pass and make this the only game you play forever. Like you're asking too much of me. Yeah. And, and I just I just can't do that again after all of the other games that I've tried doing that with and, and have walked away from. So that's on my end. I think like on the general player consensus end, the things like having 30,000 people in the queue on launch day is going to turn a lot of people away immediately. You know, like a lot of people are going to download the game because they hear about it. Overwatch 2, it's exciting. It's trending on Twitter worldwide. Like, oh, I'm going to check this thing out and you jump in and it's like, oh, I have to wait literally three hours to play the game gone forever. Like that's enough of, of, a, of a friction point for people to just never come back. So there's that. Then there's the battle pass as well. I think people will bail because of that. And then on the third level, coming in and seeing like maybe your favorite character has changed in a way you don't like. Like one of the characters I played a lot of in Overwatch 1 was Arisa, who was one of the tanks, who had this like cool bubble that she would throw down uh, that would be able to protect teammates and stuff. And like they've made some changes away from letting all the characters have barriers that you could throw up and like these shields that you need to like break through to be able to progress. But there are a couple characters here and there that I feel like have kind of had their personality like stripped away from them via some of these changes and if you're a person who mained one of those characters and felt like an actual like emotional attachment to those characters the way people in fandoms do you're gonna be like what have you done like what have you done here you've like you've you've murdered my boy here yeah it's like if ryu couldn't hadouken it's like oh okay right it's bizarre yeah Yeah, it's really strange you know characters that were healers are all like dps now it's like very strange Um, And that's kind of the big thing is like the game wants you to play more frenetically and a little bit more aggressively than it did, which I personally like that change, but not everyone will. And that's, I think, one of the big things. So I feel like on a on a general player base level, there's really not a lot here to cling on to either, because if you were interested in the idea of Overwatch, you were already playing Overwatch. What's here is not different from what was here before. The only change really is that the game is not changing, but asking you to play it more. Um, And I I think that that's like, it's a recipe for disaster, really, which is definitely unfortunate. The launch itself is like such a cataclysmic failure that I don't see it working out like long term. That's kind of how I feel. And and I, I just think, you know, you and I just really wanted to talk about this. And I think like, I think a lot of people are probably feeling the same way in some capacity. This is almost like a cathartic thing for you and I yes. to just like <laughs> exactly. Uh, this is group therapy yeah. for Overwatch fans. Uh, <laughs> so outside of the 1.9 on Metacrit, which I, I've never seen that. I, every game is review bombed. I'm kind of numb to it at this point, but that's especially low. But the actual like mainstream reviews, like IGN, GameSpot, they're all kind of lukewarm. But I mean, they all have this sense of disappointment about them. They're like, yeah, like the work that has been done here is good, but we kind of got a rough draft yeah you can't call this a sequel like you really can't i think if this was communicated differently if they were maybe like hey we haven't finished the the next game yet but like we have a giant update coming out that's gonna like set the foundation for it i think this would have been received much better i mean who knows but like i can't help but feel like calling this overwatch 2 also feels like an insult in some ways i totally agree yeah if if this had been released and marketed as like early access into overwatch 2's multiplayer and you frame it that way specifically like people are suddenly going to be much kinder to it. 
you know? Yeah. I, I feel like coming into this, I, I would have been like, wow, they've made some really interesting changes. I wasn't sold on the 5v5 until I started playing it. Now I think it's like really great. Yeah. And some of the new characters are really interesting. I mean, yeah. I think they, they all are a fun spin on tank DPS and, and support. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you, you can't you can't call it. The fact that my Overwatch 1 disc plays Overwatch 2 tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll just say also, I, I will probably continue playing this game. Like I'm probably going to play more of it. I, I've, I'm still like checking out the new arcade modes that they've been rolling out as well because they they're on like a rotation. Um, so I was playing some like team deathmatch earlier, which is pretty cool. They have a new game mode that you and I played a little bit of yesterday and I've been playing for the past couple of days called push, um, which is like an actual like for real new game mode that is so fun and so weird. It's great. I love it. Yeah. It involves both teams fighting over this like kind of big robot as he like runs back and forth between two walls and whoever's team can push their wall furthest wins like that stuff is so silly and so weird and like is a totally new way of playing overwatch it feels similar but different and that's kind of you know what you want out of a sequel really absolutely absolutely yeah and it, it also like i like those levels because they're kind of inherently payload-esque but they're much more open yeah so there's a lot of room for like there's a lot of opportunities for characters that are maybe like snipers or it feels new it feels fresh and i, I like the uh you know it, there's a lot more room for a comeback in those matches so they're yeah. very gripping which is but, fun. yeah they're exhilarating i will say one thing that is a holdover from overwatch one being more competitive leaning in terms of the you know stuff that they released patches and 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 uh, feature requests and things like that that they added to the first game is this idea of role queue which you and I did a little bit of yesterday um and I think is like a pretty good way of getting into matches where you're like I will play support yeah and I will only queue for matches where I will play support or tank or dps and you could sit there if you really 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 want to play as genji you can sit there for 15 <laughs> minutes and wait for a dps slot to open up in a match somewhere so you can play as genji and when you are doing role queue that means that you can't switch what role you are once you're in a match so if you start as a support and you say i've I'm, i've done role queue for support then you are locked into playing one of the support characters throughout the entirety of that match and i have a feeling that this is a holdover from a thing that they probably added because of the competitive scene and allowing people to a get into matches faster but b like make sure that not everyone is playing dps at all times you know but simultaneously i have this weird feeling whenever i'm doing it and whenever i'm in a match where like i i generally will roll queue for dps and support because i like both and i don't really like playing tank as much so like those are the two that i do i'm like playing support pretty much 99% of the matches that i've been launched into but i've had a couple instances in a couple matches where the play is not to continue playing support at a certain point there are a couple matches where i've gotten to a point like yeah. in a match where the the flow of the game has demanded like I do need to switch to a tank right now or I do need to switch to a DPS right now and I'm locked out of doing that because of the role queue which is a really interesting like subversion of what I think makes Overwatch really interesting because Overwatch from a multiplayer perspective I think it one of its biggest strengths is the ability to when you've died you can just switch to another character on the fly and what that means is that you can constantly be switching it up you know to throw off the enemy's game but also if the enemy does have a really solid lineup of five players and five characters that they picked out and it's like really countering the thing that you're doing you can then switch that up and try and counter them and I think that's a really really like cool aspect of 
of what Overwatch is capable of doing by being literally like a hero shooter, that when you lock yourself into a role, it kind of defeats the purpose of what makes Overwatch good. I've been really interested in That's that. That's a great point. Yeah. I think I think that is in some, because I think there's always argument over who has to be a healer, which is kind of ironic. I feel like the support classes are really fun to play in this game. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. Regardless. Um, you and I both main Lucio. Yeah. Which I means do, there's a lot of people who main Lucio. <laughs> there's a, there was that one match we were playing where it was like almost a wash. Like we were on offense. The team was on defense. Yeah. They had like this, you know, tight formation right by our entrance. And whenever we switched to somebody, it was like, who do you want to see roll around on the floor? Basically, the best widow maker possible on the enemy team. Just, you can't even see who killed you. And we were both support. But it was not roll queue. And you were like, what if I switch to Winston? I feel like we just need to like get over them. Like we need to just like push distract them. And that completely changed the match in our favor. Yeah. And like moments like that make Overwatch what it is. I I do understand. Like I do like that both exist. Like I like that there is roll queue and there is just free play, even in in competitive mode. Like if you play competitive uh, online, there's roll queue and not. So yeah. I think that, you know, switching from support to tank is like a great moment that felt organic to that match that you couldn't have done in roll queue. Yeah. So I wonder, I don't know enough about Overwatch League, but I wonder if in Overwatch League they are like, are these teams coming in saying like, this is the character that I play as specific? Like, I'm really curious about the team composition of like esports Overwatch players. I don't know esports well enough, but I ever, I enough I know enough that it seems like you want to have at least a few you're comfortable with. Yeah. Because switching is kind of part of the game. Yeah. That's what I mean, though. Like, I want I wonder if characters are coming in and like if if role queue, quote unquote, is just kind of a way of mimicking what esports players are already doing, where it's like, I'm always going to be playing support. Yeah. You know, like, oh, we have this person on our team who's like the best mercy of all time. And it'd be wild if they changed off of mercy. Um, you know, like we'd all get mad at them if they weren't mercy for five seconds. Uh, I wonder I wonder if that's the case. Given that there are actually gamer chairs like for Overwatch and League of Legends <laughs> characters, I think you might be right. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you if you have furniture that is yeah. the character you play, you're basically locking yourself in. Yeah. I would love to get like a Reaper chair and only play as like Reinhardt. <laughs> throw people off. Yeah. Um, or Torbjorn. But that that that's the thing that I've been like weirdly contending with a lot while playing Overwatch too, because Quick play is fun, but very frequently you'll get into situations, especially because like I'm solo queuing most of the time. So I'll get into situations in which like it is me and three people who refuse to play anyone other than, you know, Reaper, Hanzo and Genji. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, OK, cool. Well, you know, I'm like the the one lone support and we have a tank. It's uh, me, three 12 year old bullies and someone that left their TV on. Let's let's get in. There. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so what I found is that roll queue is like the only way that I've I've found teams in solo queue situations that are like good and work together, you know, because I, yeah. I'm sorry. I just got flashbacks of so many overwatch one matches where I had, I wasn't talking usually, but I would just hear what people were saying. And I just, I had this burn to my head, this memory of like a payload match where we were on offense and the team was like Torbjorn, Bastion, Widowmaker and Hanzo. And someone, <laughs> someone went, what the fuck? And it's like, <laughs> just like <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> Oh my god. 
anyway like you i'll probably keep playing it for a bit i, d- I don't know how long that's gonna be but i'm i'm enjoying it for the reasons we pointed out for now so yeah i do think there is there is a really interesting back and forth here i think between like how much of like this 1.9 on metacritic and stuff you know is just like bad community management and people like rallying against the thing i've seen so much stuff on reddit like on the overwatch subreddit that i was checking when i was writing the piece that i was writing just to like see what the like most hardcore and like some of the weirdest people on the internet thought about overwatch 2 um and like some of the things that people were nitpicking were like so weird to me you know like you and i were talking about um there was there was a post on the subreddit where people were upset about the way that the uh, medals looked like the rank medals you know like as you work your way up in ranked mode you know if you're like a platinum or copper or bronze or whatever uh people were like upset about those and i was like these are just pngs man like find something more interesting to rally against but it reminds me so much of mass effect 3 where oh yeah in the case of Master 3, that was like a great game and very much the third entry of a trilogy. But there was a lot of EA shenanigans before it came out that like created a lot of like ill will yeah. towards EA. I mean, including <laughs> these are kind of funny in retrospect, but making a major character DLC from day one that was on the disc <laughs> uh-huh. and forcing you to play the multiplayer to get the good ending. I still yeah, can't that get over that. That is the funniest thing EA has ever done. Um <laughs> So that was happening alongside some other. Oh, you also had to make an Origins account to play the game. So it wasn't on Steam initially. So a lot of people had kind of similar transferring data over. A lot of people weren't able to carry their Shepard over into three. So there was like like the whole point. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff to like actually be frustrated about. But then that manifested into like complaints about like what Garrus is eating in a certain scene. And it's like this is. Yeah, it's just like people don't know like where to where to focus that energy. You know, like they're they're so disappointed that they don't even know like what they're talking about and i just think that's like you know it speaks to the larger internet culture and the ways in which people kind of like lash out which are generally speaking pretty negative um but it's been interesting to see like the strange nitpicks versus the actual critiques that are happening here you know like review bombing overwatch to to a 1.9 on metacritic like i understand that to a certain perspective in a certain regard but also like i'm enjoying overwatch 2 enough that i like i wouldn't rate it at a 1.9 i think you're right to point out that like like when there's this much kind of chaos in the air, like it just kind of fires in all directions. Sometimes yeah. the reason I brought all this up specifically is on day one, when the queue to get into the game, the server queue was like 30,000 plus people in front of you. And it would take like hours to get into the game. Some people at Blizzard tweeted out like, hey, we're getting DDoS attacks happening. Like that's, yeah. that's just what's happening right now. Like there aren't actually 30,000 people in front of you in the queue. But because we're getting DDoS, like we are just getting rocked and those are all like fake people and we're like trying to clean them out as best we can but there's nothing we can really do and the response to that immediately was like they're lying they just didn't get the servers oh up God. which like yeah. I was like I know you're upset but like this guy's just trying to do his job and he's trying to be communicative like he's just yeah. trying to like he's not the guy to get mad at it's like getting mad at like like you're getting mad at Sears and you're mad at the guy working at yeah Sears, it's like when it's I not, worked at yeah. AMC theaters and people would yell at me about how expensive popcorn was it's like <laughs> Hey, I'm the CEO of AMC Theaters. Thanks yeah. for thanks for your feedback. <laughs> yes, but like in that case, it was like uh, don't don't yell at this guy. He's like just 
like bearing bad news. And the source of all that are people who really can't manage their anger at all and are sending DDoS attacks to Blizzard in the first yeah. place, right? Like shitty, weird fans are the people who originated this entire problem and made things even worse. Really bizarre, really strange for what at the end of the day is like a pretty okay game, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, a lot of the success here is just how good Overwatch was and continues to be and i think it's like a good update for the game you're right i think like this is just proof that overwatch one was like so fucking good (laughs) yeah like you could you could like nickelodeon slime overwatch and it will still emerge like a pretty okay game yeah so i think that's probably a good note to end on because it's almost been 90 minutes oh wow yeah we've been talking a long time (laughs) my last note is that it feels good on the nintendo switch i've played it on xbox and ps5 and switch and it's like surprisingly good on switch my last note is that if you like me have the physical disc toss it what you want to do is download the game for free off the store page because for whatever reason if you don't do that the ps5 controller has like special feedback for characters in this game that it doesn't if you're playing on the disc for whatever reason i guess that's what overwatch 2 is you mu- oh you know what was probably happening you were because that was a ps4 disc and i imagine it was like uh, launching like the ps4 version of overwatch that makes sense yeah yeah because now when i fire certain guns it does like a ratchet and clank thing which is pretty cool yeah so, it is pretty cool i really like it a lot anyway uh that's that's all i got uh thanks for your time i think the spotlight is now setting on us <laughs> Why don't we move on to uh, a brighter topic? Yeah, that sounds good. Let's take a break. Uh, Thank you. What is the uh, like total polar opposite of our experience with Overwatch 2? That's right. It's talking about good indie video games. Yeah. Independent gaming, dear listener. That's what we're all about here in the Aether. So there's a thing that happened on on Steam uh, last week. It's unfortunately over at this point, but you can still check out what we're going to talk about. There's a thing on Steam called Next Fest that happens every year um, in which they will get a bunch of indie developers to release demos of upcoming indie games. Uh, and you can check out all these really cool little ideas. And there's like tons of them. I didn't realize how big NextFest was because there are a lot of articles floating around like while NextFest was happening that was like, oh, here are the best demos that we checked out in NextFest. And then I, I went into Steam to see what NextFest was all about and saw like a list of, you know, 50 demos and realized that that was only scratching the surface. So I have a couple that I played and, and, and wanted to talk about. You did as well. So let's just talk about some cool indie games that we played. Just for context, I downloaded four or five demos. I've only played two and I only feel like I've played enough to bring one to the show. Yeah. So I might I might bring the other ones like eventually. But for now, I have I have one. So please, I have three that I'm going to talk about. But I also did like you play a bunch of other demos. And there was one that I downloaded a little tease. There was one that I downloaded but didn't check out because we got an email from a listener who sent us a code for the full release, which is very nice. You know who you are. Um, I I do want to talk about that game because it's very interesting. Anyway, I'll start with one called Storyteller. There's a game called Storyteller. It's being published by Annapurna Interactive and is coming to Steam and Nintendo switch and is a really really cute little puzzle game i highly recommend checking this demo out if you get the chance because um you can just like whip through it it's really quick maybe maybe i'm just good at it i don't know (laughs) no it's it's a it's a pretty short demo but uh the way it works is you open this there's this big book and this big book opens up and you'll have essentially what look like comic strip panels that are all empty and below it are locations and people um so an example of like one of the earliest puzzles in the game is like true love so cool 
there's like a field as one of the locations and there's a chapel in, in one of the locations and then there's two people and the whole idea is like you put them in a, a field and they meet each other right like put the field down in one of the panels drop one person and then the second person and they meet each other for the first time then the second panel you drop the chapel in and then drop the same two people and uh wow they're getting married they're in love and that's like the answer to the puzzle and slowly but surely they'll start to add more and more possible panels more locations more people and you need to start figuring out what places and people do I need to put in what specific order to get the thing that they want me to get. So for example, there's like a situation where maybe one of the the prompts is like heartbreak and there's three places and it's very similar field chapel and maybe one of them is like a graveyard and you can drag and drop somebody into a grave uh, and like cool they got married but then one of them died and like oh their heart is broken how sad and that's the answer to that puzzle. It starts off kind of that easy but slowly but surely gets like more and more complicated and even weirder. It's not all just like, you know, a bunch of people in the medieval times falling in love and dying. <laughs> there's more to life. There's more to life than that. that. There's uh, yeah. there's one that involves like you taking Dracula and like making him turn other people into vampires. And then there's also <laughs> like a professor who is a professor, I guess, of vampires who teaches one of the people how to kill vampires. And then you need to like bring the corpse of Dracula to the professor so he can like, I don't know, get his rocks off. I don't, I'm not sure what. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really, really bizarre. It's a really, really, really cute game, and I had a great time with it. It's called Storyteller. Um, I don't want to say like too much because I, I think it's like you know it's a puzzle game, so you just gotta gotta figure it out for yourself. But I would say some of the later ones got pretty difficult. And when I was done with all of the all of the levels that they uh, laid out in front of me, they gave me like challenge versions of all of them to make my way through as well. And if that's the case with the whole game, then it's like a no brainer. I'm like absolutely gonna pick it up on day one. It, it was so so. Yeah, it cool. sounds awesome. That's Storyteller by Annapurna Interactive. Mine is a game called Rhythm Quest, developed by DDR Kirby. And it's essentially like a Game Boy Advanced looking aesthetic. And it's a rhythm based platformer that starts off like really simple. So essentially like the first thing the game does is it will like calibrate, you know, your controller to the beats. Worth worth noting, I played this in the Steam Deck and it works great on the Steam Deck. In the beginning, your character will be automatically running across the level and there are like parts of the ground that kind of signify like, okay, like where in the beat is this part of the level? And then uh, the one of the first actions they teach you is like jump to the rhythm of the song and when you see, you have to jump or attack the enemy in front of you. Same deal. And the first thing that kind of grabbed my attention was just like how cool it looks and honestly the music is great, which like I, I feel like that's like the the make or break point of any rhythm game is mm. what was the music good yeah and the music is incredible i think it's composed by the developer as well which is awesome oh, that's great um so cool. but it's like really great chiptune music and i'll say that the first like two or three levels start off a little a little basic like the game really wants you to like know how to play it before it starts ramping it up which i think is a good move overall i'd rather do that than the opposite but i think if you're playing the demo and you like want to see whether or not it works for you i think give it like at least five or six levels uh, and they're really short each level is like maybe a minute like it's it's pretty it's pretty doable mm. but what i really love is that like there are a few checkpoints in each level which is tied to a single song and whenever you reach a checkpoint it's also like a fundamental shift in the song itself and the palette of the level changes so it honestly reminds me of like my elevator pitch would be like celeste meets res where like it has this really simple and intuitive platforming but all your actions feel so singular with the music and the aesthetic and honestly some of the later 
later levels like are doing a lot of stuff in unison and there are things that like you know one, one of the latest reveals is our enemies rolling towards you outside of the immediate rhythm of of the game so like mm. there are the things being broadcasted and there are things that are just sort of happening and i've really been interested in games that are trying to combine a genre with a rhythm game like we played um a few games this year that were doing that and games like crypto the necrodancer and cadence of hyrule i think are really interesting that they're trying to like add that element to an already established formula this is one of the simplest but like tightest executions of that idea like that goal to combine rhythm game with another genre i think it really works beautifully the only negative i have is that it ends like right when you're getting really into it which <laughs> is a sign of a good demo yeah this is slated to come out early next year i would highly recommend checking it out it's really really fun if you're like me you'll play through the whole demo twice just to hear the music again and it's just like a really fun and intimate handheld experience as well yeah so i really love rhythm quest it looks like this is coming out on switch as well which is great that, yeah i'm sure it'll be perfect there too yeah I think that'll be a. I think handheld is the way to go with it. Yeah, it looks great. Oh, good. I, I think you will love it. I think you'll have a great time. Yeah, this looks great. Okay, I'll talk about this one first because it's a little bit more. Uh, I'd say a, l- a little bit more vague in terms of uh, how how it works. But uh, there's a game by Doinksoft is the name of the developer called Gunbrella. Um, that got revealed, I think, at the Devolver Digital Expo during. Yeah, I think I vaguely remember that. Yeah, E3 or Summer Games Fest or you know just that era of of, of games announcements. Um, that I I saw the trailer for and was like, I like this. I like what's going on here. It looks very Devolver, but definitely is doing something interesting. And I didn't really know quite what that was. So the whole pitch of this game really is like it's a left to right platformer where you have a gun that is also an umbrella, and the umbrella allows you to block bullets from other people who are trying to shoot you but also allows you to like launch yourself into the air and kind of like you know peach parasol around um and hook onto like zip lines and things like that like it allows you to traverse the environment in more ways that are just like mario jumping up and down but you have a gun and that's like you know the basic outline of how the game plays but I would say the thing that Gunbrella is really doing that is gripping to me is everything that's going on narratively and tonally. Mm-hmm. Um, this game, first of all, aesthetically, just like so, so pretty. They have these like really muted kind of earthy tones in, in a lot of the pixel art. Um, and, and the places that, that you end up visiting are like just really detailed in a way that reminds me a little bit of like Eastward, which is a game that you and I really liked yeah. from last year. It has this like really rich pixel art, um, but simultaneously has this kind of really like dour but interesting spaghetti western meets like almost steampunk futuristic vibes and you are a character who is trying to figure out why you have the gunbrella and that's what i'm most interested in uh at the moment <laughs> like you you play as this guy who just like shows up in this town uh you know just kind of a classic like western situation of like you know the stranger rolling into town and asking a bunch of questions and trying to figure out you know the who's who and the what's what and in this case specifically he wants to find a different town that he's heard might have some information about the gunbrella and along the way you know you're freeing people from getting kidnapped uh you're you're freeing a town from the regime of like a a strange uh collection of cultists who have locked themselves in a library filled with like magic spell books and things like that it's really really fascinating and i think what i love about this demo specifically is that it doesn't show its full hand like i don't i haven't even fully wrapped my head around what i love about gunbrella so much but it is so interesting and so cool that I really am definitely going to give it a shot when it comes out. Um, cause it's, it's a, it's a good demo. Uh, I would, I would highly recommend checking it out. It's 
really fun. This sounds awesome. Is there a date yet for the release or is that still pending? It says 2023. Uh, similarly, I think actually all the games that we're talking about in this section all launch uh, on Steam and on Switch simultaneously, it seems like. So if you want to play it on Switch, you can also do that. But uh, the demo, as far as I know, is only out on Steam and is very good. That's Gunbrella. I think I think it's one of the things I like about it. And, and you know, I, I can understand why Devolver picked it up is like the title is so silly, you know, like, of course, like the baseline pitch of like, yeah, you're a guy with a gun that has an umbrella at the end is like so like objectively dumb. Um, <laughs> but what they do with it is so compelling and so strange that I, I can't help but be hooked on it. It's Gunbrella. That's awesome. It's cool. The last game I want to talk about, talk about not showing your hand. There's a game called Dredge by a company called Black Salt Games that has like I love so much about what Dredge is doing and I I can't wait for this to come out. This is a game that I think is like a psychological horror version of what we've been talking about a lot. Like there's there's this realm of a game that is like doing a farming sim adjacent thing, but instead this game is focused solely on fishing. So you're just like taking a boat out into a bay and going and like fishing in little spots that, you know, seem to have fish. Uh, when you catch a fish, you put it into what is essentially the Resident Evil 4 briefcase. So like each fish <laughs> takes up kind of like a Tetris block and you need to like arrange all the fish uh in a way that is like allows you to just kind of maximize the amount of space that you have in in your in your uh in your storage facility uh before you go back and sell them in town and like that's the crux of the game looming above all of that is the fact that the game opens with the player character uh driving their boat into the rocks uh in like a deep dense fog and like maybe dying i'm not sure uh and showing up in this town uh, that may or may not be purgatory. The mayor is like, I've given you a boat. I need you to go out and fish so you can pay back this boat. But we just need you to go out and fish. And every once in a while, you'll fish up things that have like five eyes or when it gets too dark out, there's like this big glowing eye that hangs out above the entire UI of the game that starts getting more and more frantic, kind of like the eye of Sauron that represents your own terror meter as it gets darker and darker. Yes. This game is like really alluding to something being like horrific under the depths. Um, this idea of there being like a very kind of like moon glow bay energy to it, but also it's like maybe a psychological thriller. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. And and kind of has this like Lovecraftian unknowable eldritch yeah. thing going on is like so cool. Uh, and they fucking nailed it. I mean, it's it's a it's a great demo. And the demo is the whole first chapter of the game. And it just kind of like I don't want to say too much, but it like ends on a note that implies it's going to get super fucking weird. Uh, and I, I'm all about it. That sounds like such a cool game. I mean, I love the setup and I love setups of horror games that are very akin to actual dreams or nightmares where I feel like in a lot of dreams or nightmares of mine, at least I'll just like end up in a situation that like I don't really know why I agreed to this. Like a, a stress dream I have a lot is I suddenly like I find out like I didn't finish high school or college. Mm. I like need to finish something that I know I've already done, but I need to go back and do it. And the thing I think before I wake up always is like, wait a minute, I did this. Like, why am I doing this again? <laughs> or like more surreally, like the the classic actor's nightmare of like I'm suddenly in a play I, I've never read the script for and I have to like go on stage and do it. Yeah. And I feel like just being like, you've got to go get fish for me is like such a strange, <laughs> but somehow perfect like set up for this kind of experience yeah i don't i don't want to say too much more about it but you just like keep running into characters uh who are speaking very cryptically about the things you're finding in the ocean you know like every once in a while you'll like catch a fish and it'll like cough up a strange coin and be like 
okay, go go take your boat out to like a different town and like talk to somebody about what this coin is all about. Things like that just add to the mystery. And I, I it's exhilarating. I'm, I'm so excited to check it out. You also like have to upgrade your boat and stuff, like get more lights that you can put around the outside so you can like see further in the fog at night or else you will literally like, I think, lose your mind. I did. I never had a moment <laughs> in which the like terror meter filled up all the way. Um, yeah. So I don't I don't really know for sure like where it gets to, but it's it's very cool. I will I will read the Steam description of this game. Dredge is a single player fishing adventure with a sinister undercurrent. Sell your catch, upgrade your boat, and dredge the depths for long buried secrets. Explore a mysterious archipelago and discover why some things are best left forgotten. How would you say the horror is? Because this is sort of like inscription where it's like mostly unsettling and, and a lot of the like bigger moments are almost like goofier than not. Or is it like more actually horrific? I would say, I mean, based on the way the first chapter plays out at the moment, it seems like it's ratcheting up tension, you know, like it, you're Got it. you're in the first act of a Stephen King book is kind of how it, it feels where like, you know, that something is going to break bad at some point and you just don't quite know how yet. <laughs> I'm in Maine at my stepdad's house. Like, we'll see how this goes. Yeah. Kind of thing. yeah. I, I could see like the, the resolution of it being like, I've upgraded my boat enough to catch the Kraken. Like that could end up just being it. <laughs> like it could, it could follow the similar beats of like other RPGs in that way, like other kind of like management and sim RPGs where it's like, oh, you go out and like, I don't know, you get attacked by a giant squid and then you realize like, oh, well, if I you know sell this kind of fish and enough of this and I go to this town and this town and buy this piece of equipment, and this piece of equipment, maybe I can take it on. Like maybe it's that kind of experience or maybe it is fully narrative and like really wants you to be terrified. I'm not sure which yet. And that's almost kind of as exciting as everything else. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that actually is one of them I downloaded already, so I will get to it Yeah, uh, as soon as I can. You will have a good time, uh, and I think you'll want to talk to me about it, and I'm excited about that. Yeah, it sounds nautical, so I'm already on board. It does sound nautical, and it kind of sounds a little bit like spooky season. It does, which I think brings us into our next section beautifully. Let's let's do it. My terror meter is full. My, my eye of terror has fully opened. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Spooky season 2022. Here we are. Happy to be here. AJ, thanks for playing us in, as always. Thank you to whoever made that song, too. I feel like you're the unsung hero of this podcast in many ways. <laughs> I've got two games in this section. I think I think it will be faster than that implies, given our track record. <laughs> but I think that they are sort of cosmically linked, or at least the concept of the game is similar. So the two games I have to bring to the show today for the section... Uh, the Resident Evil 1 remake, or remake, if you want to call it that, uh, came out on the GameCube, but it's also available pretty much everywhere. I have it on PS4 and also on my Steam Deck. And I also finally played Doom 2016, which I also streamed, uh, which was a lot of fun. And I think in my head, those games are kind of in a similar realm because they're both sort of remakes, sort of like spiritual reboots of their series and i love to sort of explore how each game accomplishes that and also how each game sort of seeks to define what it means to be a remake or a revival of, of a really beloved 
like mm-hmm. genre defining game. Yeah. Do you have a preference on which we start with? I want to I want to hear about Doom 2016. I want to hear about your experience with yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that was when I streamed. It was a lot of fun to stream cuz that game is just ridiculous. So Doom 2016, my background with Doom is sort of scattered. I've played the first one kind of in passing. I mean, I feel like Doom is sort of like solitaire where it's like it's assumed it's just on the computer ready to go. And yeah. I say that as a compliment where it's like I feel like Doom by the time we were like old enough to play games or old enough to like play doom uh either sanctioned by our parents or unsanctioned uh, <laughs> i feel like it was already an established thing like uh i think what doom came out what 93 so like by the time i i played doom for the first time i was probably like eight or nine so it was like years after the fact yeah and at that point i think like our version of doom for people around our age was goldeneye that was like the game that sort of defined mm. fps for that specific era for yeah. a little bit prior to halo coming out a few years later golden is coming out again it is and there's online play which is very interesting only on switch which is only on- <laughs> so weird that's not gonna be fun right <laughs> i don't want to dunk too hard like if you have nostalgic feelings about Goldeneye, but like that game does not hold up that game didn't hold up after perfect dark came out a couple years later <laughs> i my I got shit for this my whole life. I've often said Perfect Dark is like exponentially better than Goldeneye. It's the same team. It's largely this. like the same, like very similar game. People didn't like Perfect Dark because of that one bug where if you got punched, you saw Dizzy. And then if you died and respawned, you were for some reason still dizzy. So like <laughs> in multiplayer, everyone would just punch each other. So it was like this, you know, starry night blur of a game. I love that. Yeah, right. It was great. Every weapon had two functions. Uh, the laptop gun, which was like a, a secret laptop that became a century. It was sick. There's the gun that's also an umbrella. I'm going to paint Overwatch 2 over my physical copy of Perfect Dark, and that's going to be my game of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, well, I'm thinking about James Bond real quick. Yes. The best James Bond multiplayer game is Nightfire. I don't know if you played that or if anyone out there has played it, but Nightfire is... I think the game that I would want to see like re-released remade that game was so good. The multiplayer was incredible. The maps were so good and it feels to this day. I can confirm this great in a way that GoldenEye does not. I played a lot of Asian under fire and night fire with friends growing up and I, Asian I definitely under fire was good too. I definitely think both of those games are better than GoldenEye. GoldenEye was a great moment in time, but very quickly like that era of game was so innovative and so exciting because it was like this new frontier of 3D. And a lot of games on that system have aged really well, but a lot of them have not. And like instantly, yeah. like, yeah. you know, GoldenEye will always have a place in my heart, but I was always a Perfect Dark fan. I, re- I even remember in high school, like 2008, I want to say, I know I know exactly who I was with. I know whose house we were at. And I remember we walked in the door and he was like, dude. I got Goldeneye and we were all like, oh, my God, you have an N64 still and Goldeneye. And he had four controllers and we all sat downstairs and we ordered pizza and we were like, we're going to do it. We're going to have a Goldeneye night. It's going to be just like old times when we were really little. This is going to be so cool. And we played for like maybe 15 minutes before realizing (laughs) the game wasn't that good. I'm telling you, perfect dark. There was you could. (laughs) 
there was a little uh, Martian named Elvis who you could play as. You could use the laptop gun as Elvis. There was a computer <laughs> with a face on it named Dr. Carol. I love it. It was great. It was a great game. I would even say it's perfect. Anyway, that's how the show ended. Uh, it was kind of a <laughs> controversial finale. Uh, so anyway, that's Doom. <laughs> Doom. Back to Doom. So my experience with Doom was largely just like, knowing it as an established thing and playing it in passing and actually did play. They recently uh, added like all of the doom games to game pass. They're all always on sale for like nothing. You can get them on any platform. And I played a bit of the first one on Xbox. I honestly had a great time. I actually do think that the first doom has aged remarkably better than golden. I has. <laughs> uh, you can't aim up or down, but once you know that, I think you actually will have a surprisingly great time. Yeah. It's still fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun moment of game history to experience. Like where did FPS, I guess Wolfenstein was maybe the first and maybe there's something before that, but doom was like the moment, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's really all I knew about doom. And then I, I briefly played doom eternal uh, a year or two ago and I enjoyed it. And I really liked that style of shooter because I feel like for a lot of the 2010s, like in a post gears of war world, pretty much every shooter or every game with shooting elements like Uncharted or Mass Effect were all cover-based shooters. That was like the bit. Like every yeah. game was cover-based shooting. That's not a bad thing, but I think unless you're designing around it, like I remember um, the Gears of War developers said that paintball was their main influence. So like the idea was like, if you are out in the open, you're, you're a target. So mm -hmm. you have to play behind cover. And honestly, in Gears of War, it works really well. Like the game is designed around that. But yeah. like Uncharted, it feels kind of like a placeholder, you know, as much as I do enjoy some moments in four and, and Lost Legacy where you're swinging around and, you know, there, there's much more fun combat in those games. It's not like why I'm playing the game. And it just sort of feels like for a long time, that's what people kind of defaulted to, like I mm -hmm. said earlier. So Doom Eternal feels really fresh, like exiting that mindset or that expectation a game that is constantly asking you to be on the move and to play aggressively and, and simultaneously to understand how enemies attack and how uh, to defeat them and the stylish ways you defeat them that are so over the top, kind of akin to like early God of War, but with more of a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. I had a great time with Doom Eternal. My main gripe with that game was like there was weirdly like too much story happening, which <laughs> is usually not something I complain about. But for Doom, I feel like I don't need much. You know, I don't need there right. to be a cut scene and and i just sort of i feel like doom is often like divided into the action sequences or exploring and like finding keys to progress or whatever yeah and it's always in those latter moments secret vests yeah like i just get overwhelmed and get lost really easily so i usually bounce and that's kind of what happened to maternal i remember i played like the first two levels and then i was like i feel good about the experience i don't think this is going to like dramatically change mm -hmm. so i feel like i can i can speak to my experience i had fun and i can move on but doom 2016 always felt like the one to play of those two like yeah i, I feel like uh my roommate had the switch port which apparently is great so if you have a switch and you want to play these games uh, that's a good place to play them yeah those in the wolfenstein games run like remarkably well uh, <laughs> yeah the, the team that's that's doing all those ports like really killing it yeah they're awesome and basically doom 2016 was sort of the bethesda owns doom now we're gonna reboot the franchise kind of thing so in some ways it's a remake, but it feels more kind of like a revival of the series, but it also feels dramatically different because I think that in some ways they're going after similar things where like the very first Doom 
is also a game where it's like, okay, there's no reload animation. You're constantly being attacked by demons at like multiple points of view. You, you kind of always have to be looking around. They really were obviously excited by both playing in a pseudo 3D environment and also with the first person perspective. Like those two things were largely new or at least like hadn't been really done before in an action game like that. So the first thing was, is designed around that. Like you have to constantly be paying attention and be mm-hmm. like on the move. And in Doom 2016, it's a similar deal, but it feels a little bit more choreographed and a little bit more about the finishing move. So like yeah. when an enemy is like, defeated they'll start like glowing and then if you go up to them and you push a button you'll do like a dramatic finisher and the finishers are always really funny that's something i really appreciate about doom 2016 is like you'll rip off a demon's leg and just like hit him in the head and it always feels like you could hear like looney tunes sound effects somewhere in the yeah, distance like the betty hill song yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it is graphic but it's not I don't really do well with gore and I don't really have any issue. Like every now and then there'll be one that's especially brutal, but like it's usually pretty cathartic and they're usually so monstrous. Like it doesn't feel uh, gratuitous in the same way it would if it was like a human yeah. or or something else. So right. the game also begins eerily similar to Mass Effect 2. We kept making that joke in the stream <laughs> chat, but like you wake up, you've been like recreated. There's a hologram that's like kind of sketchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so funny, but the game begins with like the beginnings of a story and the main character just like punches the tablet that is like explaining what's happening (laughs) which to me like shows exactly what this game's approach is to narrative (laughs) it's like no no no, we don't care i i only know how to punch things and that's what the whole game is going to be and honestly it's it's a thrilling experience i've only played the first like one and a half areas it's very arcadey and it's like okay like these are like the zones and like i like that um rather than the first doom which is like you know similar like distinct levels usually they would be kind of like open arenas where like the first priority was clearing it of demons and then it was just sort of like okay now where do i go and what can i discover in this game it's kind of similar but i feel like they're sort of these like broadcasted battlefields where there are like you know it almost feels like like a game like overwatch or a competitive shooting game where it's like they've designed these levels with a lot of verticality and shape and the demons are always kind of moving around and climbing up so like it really does feel like you get in this meditative trance almost as you follow the enemies around and finish them off and you need ammo and health is so scarce that you do need to do the finishers in order to like be good. So yeah, I think that's the magic trick of that game specifically is that meditative experience that you were talking about is so similar to how people describe like getting into the flow in the original doom. And yeah. I think, I think 2016's ability to modernize that and make it feel, make it feel fresh, but at, at its core be, you know, exactly the same verbs is like really, I think surprising. It's, that was one of the most interesting things about that game when it launched was it really did just feel like, doom all over again it was like what if what if doom had never been released in the 90s and and you know you just took that core idea and and made it now and that's what doom 2016 was uh and it was it was really shocking it was really shocking how good that game was because i i think like people knew it was going to be pretty like fun but i don't think people knew it was going to be like oh shit this is like goatee level like kind of kind of recalibrating our collective experience with first person shooters and what they can be. It also feels like I feel like we're seeing a lot of games now be modern callbacks to the past, not necessarily even in them being remakes, but look at a game like Elden Ring and it, and that game is kind of 
showing everyone the lessons that can be learned from older game design, Mm -hmm. specifically from games that may not have like done as well, or maybe didn't like fully execute their ideas like Simon's quest or, you know, arguably dragon's dogma, which I love, but you know, you could argue is like kind of a hit or miss experience for some people. Totally. Dune 2016 is like, there is so much energy and so much fun to be had in that old school design. And like you said, bringing that to a modern setting, but also like by doing that, it also feels distinctly like its own game. So I think like the best remakes or revivals, it's not seeking to replace the game, but to exist alongside it. So mm-hmm. I, I really love it. Honestly, my only gripe with 2016 is that I don't love the UI. There's a little too many, like, I, I kind of like the, the simplicity of the original. And 2016, it's like, you can get weapon mods and like all this stuff. It's like, that's the modernity that I don't think benefits the game. Like, I don't, I don't need eight menus with like eight upgrades I'm sure like as I keep playing it, maybe I'll enjoy that a little more seeing like what I can unlock. Yeah. Because you do kind of have like a Samus-esque suit, like you have the Doom Guy suit. And I imagine like, you know, there is a bit of a power fantasy with with getting more and more tools. Because that also just adds to sort of the 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 choreograph, like the sort of dance of it all. Like, okay, mm-hmm. this weapon's good against this demon. I want to use this. I want to save my bullets for that. And suddenly you're like thinking like RTS in a first person shooter. Yeah. I love it. I would I would highly recommend Doom 2016. I, I like Eternal as well. This just feels tighter. It just feels like more focused. Yeah. And I, I think I would I would lean towards this one over Eternal personally. I haven't played Eternal yet. Um, I, I had some time with Doom 2016 and like liked it enough, but it, it kind of felt a little bit. And this is super subjective. This is just me. But it felt a little bit like a magic trick was like, oh, wow, I'm really enjoying this. But at a certain point, I was like, I, I think I'm just I don't need to finish Doom 2016. Yeah. Like, I know what is so great about this. I will say, though, uh, that no clip on YouTube, uh, Danny O'Dwyer's uh, thing has a really great documentary series about the making of that game. That oh, is cool. Super worth watching. And another follow up again game that I think you and I both should endeavor to check out and talk about on the show, especially during spooky season is a perfect time for it. There's a game that's on game pass called metal Hellsinger, which is essentially a blending of what was so great about doom 2016 with a rhythm game. Oh, uh, no way. That's perfect. It, yeah. that, it just seems like the most obvious thing in the world. Uh, very similar to what you're talking about with, with rhythm quest. Like it's really interesting to see all these developers taking the idea of rhythm games and, you know, smashing them into other things. Uh, doom 2016, but a rhythm game, exhilarating idea. And I'm so excited to check it out. It's also like, that demand is almost present in the game. Like I don't think it's coincidence. I keep referring to the levels as like a song and dance where like there is that meditative flow, which, you know, similar to Tetris effect. It's like, what if Tetris effect isn't a rhythm game, but it's like in the sense that it's like asking you to do things exactly on the beat, but it's, it is a rhythm game in spirit, like in in the Mm -hmm. action. I think the best rhythm games get you to a point where you're just in it and you don't even have to like, you can close your eyes and do exactly what the game wants you to do. Yeah. And I, I think that that would benefit doom uh greatly i would i I can't wait to play that game it sounds awesome yeah it's on game pass cool game pass is a great service dude i like it (laughs) what is this Uh, (laughs) my other horror game is the resident evil remake which i had played before but i've been wanting to go back to for a long time do you have any experience with this one or is this like totally new to you got nothing Got nothing, Howie. Got absolutely nothing. I mean, I've seen enough video of Resident Evil, the original one. I have no idea what's going on with this GameCube remake. I honestly didn't even know it existed until you mentioned you were bringing it to the show. Yeah, this one weirdly goes under the radar because it came out a few years before Resident Evil 4, which, you know, 
talk about still in the spotlight. Oh, wow. Yeah. This was, I think, in 2002. This came out for the GameCube originally, but it's now everywhere. And it's a remake of the first Resident Evil, which is kind of funny to consider because the first Resident Evil was, I believe, 96. So it's like it's six years later, but it's so funny to see how much technology change in that time versus like are getting the last of us remake in the six years between around the same yeah the the rate at which that period of video games was so fascinating just in terms of like console generation to console generation being like really visible holy shit leaps yeah you know like i can't believe this thing runs on this was like really wild and now uh, as you're saying like the as we've mentioned actually a lot on the show like the jump between the ps4 and the ps5 generation which happened while we were doing the podcast was like uh, i don't know i really think the most noticeable was 64 to gamecube and ps1 to ps2 because mm. that was also the ps1 and the n64 were both uh the first primarily 3d consoles you know yeah, right um so like the Super Nintendo was immediately ageless in its design. And then you had the N64 kind of being this like sort of oblivion adjacent early attempt at, at 3D polygons. Mm-hmm. And then the GameCube, which, you know, has some uncanniness now. But like, I remember this is the first and last nice thing I'm going to say about Star Fox Adventure Dinosaur Planet. <laughs> but I remember when I first played that game and I saw the water, I, I it blew me away. Like, the water effects in Star Fox Adventure are awesome. That game's fine. It's like just bad Zelda, basically. <laughs> you want me to love it. I feel like your like secret plan is like to get me to admit that I love Star Fox Adventure on the show once. Yeah, I do want that to happen. <laughs> and I want us to do a bonus about it. <laughs> I'm I'm not against going back to it. Uh oh God, this this is working. I'm not gonna give you this joy. Um <laughs> but anyway, like the game season (laughs) the gamecube remake of resident (laughs) evil one even at the time i think that's like one of the best looking gamecube games like it's obviously being touched up now by modern console ports of it but even still like the art direction and the character design of the main cast it's really striking so resident evil games are known for sort of their like fixed camera angles so like when you walk into a room, at least in uh, Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3, and parts of Code Veronica, uh, which is kind of secretly Resident Evil 3, um, <laughs> sort of to aid the sort of film aspect of it, when you walked into a new room in the mansion or in the PlayStation in 2, there would be like a fixed camera angle for that hallway. So like, you know, the camera might be outside for that corner. Uh, and like the tank controls adding to that are kind of infamous because like it's always a little bit tricky to control the character because you have to press forward to move them in the direction they're facing and then the camera is constantly switching so like you know Resident Evil has always been kind of infamous for that I would argue to some degree that adds to some of the horror but there are some cases like in the very first one for example that are bad enough that you would want to make a remake six years later um so (laughs) They remove tank controls from this remake? You could alternate. So there's the new controls, which work normally. The only thing with that is that when the camera changes, so like, let's say you're you're playing as Jill. If Jill is walking down a hallway and you're mm-hmm. pushing forward, and then all of a sudden in the new area, the camera changes and forward would not be in the same direction. But if you're still holding that, she'll continue walking in the direction she was. But if you let go, you then have to readjust for what the new angle is. So oh, it's like it's like a little weird, but it works way better. Or you could you could switch to the original tank controls, which yeah. 
you know, if you want to have the the full experience. So I think that this, while I don't ever like saying a game should replace another, I think that this game, if you want to experience the first Resident Evil, I would advise you to play this one for, for many reasons. Mm. One, I just think, honestly, it looks so cool. And I think I've often said that my favorite Resident Evil games are this one and Resident Evil 4. Resident Evil 4 for just being like the best action game and this for being the best horror game. I would now have to incorporate Village and Biohazard into that equation, but um, because my 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 entry into the series was two. I played Resident Evil two first, and honestly, even between one and two, I think two plays much better. Like it still has the tank controls, it still has all that, but like it feels like a better execution of what they were going for in one. So like already from one to two, one kind of looks silly, and also the thing about the original. Resident Evil 1, though, is that it's so campy, perhaps by accident. I mean, there's this intro cutscene in the very first Resident Evil that introduces the cast, and it's like this like 90s butt rock, and this announcer like... Chris Redfield. And then like the, these real people, like it's an FMV disco oh, really? moment. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> They're all posing as the characters. It's so good. And I do miss that energy, but overall, the remake, it still is like inherently campy in some ways, but what they've really done is they've made this mansion this really terrifying and this really beautifully shot place. Like The the filmmaking intention is really magnified in the GameCube remake, and they've also added to the horror. So one, zombies are just like way harder to kill. Mm. They also give you some, some help, though. So there are items you can find similar to the shivs in Last of Us, where like if a, a zombie goes to bite you, you can have a defensive item equipped that's used, but it'll like instantly kill them. The thing that this game adds that's terrifying and does make it a little bit, not a little bit, it does make it harder, is that every zombie, unless you burn them or decapitate them, will come back 20 minutes to an hour later as what the game calls a crimson head that are zombies <laughs> that can run, have claws, and can open doors. Oh, my God. So, like... <laughs> and when and you like, say 20 minutes to an hour later, do you mean, like, in real time? Yeah, like, if you're playing for that, I, I believe. I don't know the exact... I haven't had it happen yet. That's wild. I, I haven't gotten, like, super far. And, you know, when I first played this game, it was, like, when it came out and I haven't gone as far since. So my memory of the later game is kind of foggy. There's also a whole extra chapter like in the backyard in this weird graveyard. And like, it's hard to really say in an audio format, but like the, the game just looks so cool. If you're like a horror film person, I feel like this game is a must just for like the angles you get. Like there's one mm. where I'm playing as Jill cause I don't know. Jill feels canon to me. Chris has always been kind of lame to me. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Also, Jill starts with a gun and Chris doesn't. So like, there's an easy choice there. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a shot where Jill. What are you supposed to do as Chris then? Lose and replay <laughs> as Jill. Uh, so there's a hallway early on where when you open the door, the camera is like right on Jill, almost like a medium close up. And there's like rays of foggy light through the window, kind of like cutting across her face and like it's a very simple moment but like venetian blinds very film noir it very film noir and it keeps you on edge because you even if you are opening a door and you know exactly where you're going you never really know what you're going to see and it also adds to the dream like 
nightmare quality of like things are always a little bit out of your control. You know, like even if I'm looking at the map and I know I'm going down this hallway, that's something that I love and more on this soon about Silent Hill 2 is like that game in its function is mostly a map sim. That game is like James checking his map constantly mm-hmm. and going into every door in an abandoned apartment building until he finds something fucked up. Um, but <laughs> the game makes you rely on your map so much that when there are moments where the map fails you, it's horrific, but like really effective. It's yeah. like most of the time your map is like, this is the one thing I can trust is my map of Silent Hill. And I think it's fun that like the map in, in Resident Evil remake works just fine, but the angles play with that. You know, the angles will always show you a different point of view. Um, So my one thing is that the game is pretty hard. And like, this is the kind of game where if you die, you may lose a lot of progress because you can only save when you have a number of ink ribbons. So it's like, it's back to that system where like, you you have a finite number that indicates the save, but it's also a short enough game. And it's also kind of Metroidvania E and that like, even if you die, you'll have a better knowledge of like, what is in this mansion. And I do like that kind of puzzle box mentality with Mm. the first Resident Evil. That's something that I loved about Resident Evil 2 as well, because most of that game is in the police station, which is also low key a museum. Very silly. Yeah. The mansion I think is a better setting because like the PlayStation's a little bit of a bait and switch because you go there thinking it's going to be like a familiar shelter, but then is this like weird intricate museum full of Zodiac themed locks. Uh, but the mansion is like inherently like a haunted house. It's like, yeah, we're, we have to run into a haunted house and make this work. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think it's great. I'm also playing this on the Steam Deck and it's awesome on the Steam Deck. Oh, nice. I've never really had a handheld like Resident Evil experience like this. And it's been really fun and, and really intimate, especially with like the horror of it all. So it's widely well regarded, but I don't hear about this one as much as I hear about like the new wave of games or the more recent remakes. The recent remakes of two is also great but i think this one feels like they really it almost feels like a a yakuza kiwami situation where like it does kind of replace the first game not in the sense that like you shouldn't play the first game at all but like this is what the first game was going for you know this is like what they wanted to do and while i do miss some of the -the over-the-top voice acting it is cool to see like this beat of the Resident Evil journey played in earnest and how horrifying it actually is. Um, so I would highly recommend this if you are a fan of the series and you want something that's like, actually a little bit more horror. Because I think while well, Resident Evil 4 and Village and Biohazard all have their really, really scary moments, Village and Biohazard feel like roller coaster rides in some ways. Like they're yeah, so... Totally intense it, it, it does kind of uh, eventually become a little silly this game has like that kind of lingering feeling that i like in mm-hmm. in some horror games where it's like it's got its moments of of monsters and tension but like the thing you're trying to get through kind of similar to metroid is like just this oppressive sense of atmosphere that i think is that's the secret ingredient to the best horror games in my opinion yeah, it's worth mentioning that I think this is also on Switch along with I think two, three, four, five, and six, which is funny. <laughs> oh yeah, all of all of those are available on the Switch, and then seven and eight are also on Switch now as cloud versions, along with I think the recent remakes. But knowing that this first one is on Switch makes me this is the this is the first time I think you've sold me on playing like an early Resident Evil game because I I my first one was four and I love that game and I've talked about it a lot. The Wii version specifically, I beat like forty times or fifty times yeah uh, i just did new game plus like over and over and over again uh, i loved it so much 
five and six I thought were fine. Seven I didn't really get super into. And then eight, obviously, you know, talked about a lot last year. Loved that game. But I've never been that curious to go back in time. I tried playing the two remake and honestly found the like gore in that game to be so gratuitous and off-putting that I like I just couldn't do it. I understand, Um, yeah. I just didn't even want to. Uh, but one feels feels very interesting. It feels very enticing to me. And I like the idea of this like GameCube era remake being the one that I jump into that feels right to me for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> I think honestly, I think you'll really like it because I think you're a big Metroid fan and this feels yeah. weirdly like that. My my one piece of advice is try to run past most zombies early on until you mm. feel like secure that you can deal with them. Because I think with the added threat of them respawning you're probably making more trouble for yourself later. So, Mm. you know, that is what the knife is for is like just slashing them and then, you know, bolting out of the way. You do Mm. have to kill the first zombie you meet, uh, which that's a very iconic moment. I feel like in all these lists of like, what are the scariest moments in games? It's always that first zombie turning around. Mm. Uh, I I don't know if you've seen that moment, but I um, I haven't, but maybe I will on the Nintendo switch. You definitely will. I've always liked resident evil one. But even as a kid, I've always, sort of just preferred to. I was like, why am I playing this one? Uh, it's like when I had Tekken 2 and Tekken 3, I was like, why am I not playing Tekken 3? <laughs> but uh, this remake is very much worth your time, especially if, if you are more into horror than action. So Yeah, cool. Cool. That's Resident Evil for a lot of systems, but remake. notably the Nintendo GameCube. It is interesting that they made this remake in 2002, and then the second game wasn't remade until 2019. I wonder yeah. why they... I guess... Four was such a hit, they probably wanted to follow that track, and then that led to six. <laughs> Five <laughs> and six. Uh, yeah. And then they rebooted. Yeah, maybe so. it would have helped keep them grounded if they yeah. had been uh, still remaking things. Remember the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah fascinating i didn't i don't have a i don't have a um a spooky season game this week i did try a couple which was interesting i tried a couple that i, I wasn't a super big fan of but what i will say uh is that i do have some on the horizon for the future uh notably Great. a game that i do want to talk about next week that i started playing and then uh i didn't even mention this but we're recording this episode at night because uh new york comic-con just happened recently and i was working like all of it so we didn't get the recorder at normal time that also means i just didn't get to play a lot of games this week because uh, i was just working morning tonight for a lot of days in a row but the game that i have been sneaking in in, in between new york comic-con sessions was grim fandango oh on- cool the Nintendo Switch, which is a game I've wanted to play for years and yeah. years and years and years, uh, and is so good, uh, and I can't wait to talk about it. That's one of my favorite, uh, like Tim Schafer classics. Yeah, yeah, never played it. Uh, always knew I'd love it, and yeah. um, didn't check it out. But man, is it like immediately great! Uh, yeah. So I'll I'll talk about that next week. Fun. I think next week for me is going to be at least Eve, which I'll be streaming yeah. as well, which I'm really excited to play that. That is a remake of a RPG maker horror game that came out, I think, in 2012 and is sort of a cult hit. Uh, it seems to be very similar to Yumi Nikki in the sense that it's primarily atmosphere, which is something that I just mentioned as being uh, the secret ingredient of a great horror game. So yeah. very excited to see what that's all about. I know Scorn comes out next week also that like H.R. Geiger inspired first person shooter. Um, I've seen some clips of that game that seem so uh, just like horribly disgusting that I probably won't play it. (laughs) I was interested in it initially when they first announced it. But um, if if you're expecting me to come to the show with Scorn, uh, dear listener, I don't know if that's going to happen because I've been uh, pretty, pretty grossed out by some of the stuff I've seen on the Internet. I think it's just maybe too much for me. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, I will talk about Grim Fandango. <laughs> that, Honestly, that's more my speed. I'm excited to hear about that. And I, I have a few more in my backlog that I want to check out. So yeah. we might have a pretty stacked uh, spooky season next week. Um, yeah. Oh, I also mentioned last week a game called uh, Slice and Dice that I wanted to talk about this week and didn't get the chance to talk about it specifically because they released a huge update for it. It like entered 2.0 or something last week and just added like so much to the game that I was like, I need to recalibrate my entire feelings about this because there's a lot going on there so i'll probably talk about that next week as well um that game is still i think only available on itch uh and android interestingly so if you have an android phone you can check that out oh, and cool. i've heard i've heard the android version is awesome too um so check that game out uh, if you haven't and while we're doing all this i'll mention two other games real quick uh that i'm checking out number one is uh trails from zero and oh, yeah the other one is uh i was a teenage exocolonist two games that i'm early enough in that i don't feel like i can bring them to the show just yet but i am floored by both trails from zero just a, a bunch of friends of ours have been playing it and uh recommending it and it seems like something you and i would like the trails games in general seem really cool yeah that's a big series i think we want to get into eventually yeah. yeah um i've been playing trails from zero and it is immediately really gripping and really interesting and i think you and i will have a lot to talk about if we end up talking about that on the show and the other one i was a teenage exocolonist was a game that just like totally flew under the radar for me but i've been hearing more and more people in the discord talking about as like this is probably a go to contender um and seems so like our shit specifically that i started checking it out and uh, it is it is so our shit uh, yeah those are really those good. are both games that are on my wish list that i'll probably get next paycheck <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so I'm really excited to play both, though, because yeah, someone said it's a very ITA game and I, I trust their their take. So, yeah, uh, it is. I, I can tell you already. Uh, it very much is. It's it's really interesting. I, I can't wait to get really into trails in January. I just feel like that's like the perfect I feel like in the in the weird post holiday season is yeah. when we like find a new RPG series to fall in love with. The thing I'll say about Trails from Zero, uh, and I, I posted a screenshot on Twitter and, and mentioned this, but like as soon as I started playing it, I was like, this is exactly what a Golden Sun remake should look like. And if you go look at screenshots of that game or just like see it in motion, it is like the perfect way to remake Golden Sun. Uh, so if you're out there, Camelot, and you're thinking about finally doing that for people, that's how you should do it. Look to Trails. I have Trails in the Sky on Steam, but I, I don't know if it runs well on the Steam Deck or not yet. Interesting. So, um, uh, I have the PSP version of Trails from the Sky and would love to play that sometime. Um, here's the thing. Trails from the Sky is a trilogy, apparently, um, that leads into Trails from Zero, which is itself its own trilogy, um, which I didn't realize, but there's there's like a billion Trails games, <laughs> as yeah. it turns out. And... Uh, what I've heard is that you can just go into Trails from Zero and like that's fine. It's supposed to be an on ramp for people, but if you play Trails from Sky first, you're gonna have like more context and you're gonna, I don't know. There's a bunch of references and stuff. They're going over my head at the moment. I'm still having an exhilarating time right now. It's my <laughs> exercise bike game. Uh, I'm loving. I mean, it. I played Uncharted Four before any of the other ones. So like when there was that reveal of Sully like from the shadows into the like this Orson <laughs> Welles arriving in the third man yeah. moment, I was like, I don't know, what this is. I still enjoyed it. I picked up the pieces. That's awesome. I I'm really excited to play both of those games. Uh, I'm also, as we're talking about kind of plans, I mentioned last week that I was playing Hyper Light Drifter. I think that's probably something I'll bring next week just in a normal section because I, I really have been enjoying that, but I just haven't been able to put in enough time because it's just been such a chaotic month 
even outside of the show. So I am looking forward to the future, man. I'm also really looking forward to November because like that's like a nice moment of peace. I feel like October is always a busy month for us. I'm enjoying it. Don't get me wrong. But I like November as like, okay, like let's get everything in order before mm-hmm. before the Goatee episode. Take a deep breath. What's it going to be? And uh, I'm I'm really, really excited for all that. Yeah. Yeah, you and I are both deep in Elden Ring again. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> I, I mentioned I was on play after work to unwind and I just started Vare's quest. I'm like, that's a weird way to unwind. To unwind yeah. Here we are. Let's wrap up. Let's wrap up. Thank you so much for listening. This is a longer one. I think neither of us were anticipating how long that Overwatch 2 <laughs> sequence is going to be. Uh, <laughs> Lots to unpack. I know that was sort of uncharacteristic of us, but uh, I think it was helpful just to kind of talk about it. So thank you for that. We're obviously really excited about our plans for the future. We've got our bonus this month that we announced last week. It's going to be about Super Metroid and Symphony of the Night. I am uh, pretty decently far into both games, and I'm really excited for that conversation if you like the show into the cast that online is our hub for everything links to places to listen to the show our youtube and twitch which are more active lately all the streams that i mentioned are obviously on our twitch but they will be saved onto our youtube after the fact so if you want to watch the inscription one or the doom one they're there i'm very excited for the eve stream because that'll be my first time streaming from the steam deck so hopefully that all works we'll find out <laughs> together i've also been keeping up my uh daily shovel night videos yes. which has been fun I, I took a break for new york comic-con but I, I made one today uh excited to be back in that game that game is still so fucking good At, uh, shovel night has really become like a close to like spelunky tier level roguelike for me that's awesome um i i've been so so surprised at that game it's really taken a hold of me. I also want to shout this out. As we mentioned before, uh, we were pretty candid in our season premiere about the cost of the show and what we needed to hit in order to pay AJ their full rate and just to keep the show going and make sure base needs were met. And we met that goal really quickly. And then just kind of for fun, we set a goal of 2000 a month where if we hit that, we would do a 3DS bonus for patrons. Uh, and we're getting really close to that. And that was something that like, you know, I, I think we were both hopeful that we would reach one day, but I just want to really thank everyone who was able to support us there. Like, as we've said many times, like we love doing the show and we would do it anyway, but we also both work full time and the show does cost a decent amount to make. And all of that truly, like even a dollar helps us so much. So, you know, no pressure to back it, but for those who are able to, thank you so much. And we're really excited at the prospect of doing that episode. Yeah. I've been carrying the 3DS with me. <laughs> I had it on the subway and all my commuting this week has been really fun. Yeah. So I just wanted to thank, thank everyone there. And that's basically it. Anything else, Brendan? Um, no. (laughs) (laughs) Go to into the cast on online. They're linked to everything. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, and, uh, I don't know why it feels, it feels like it's been like six months since we last recorded, but we had an episode last week so I don't, I don't know where that feeling is coming from anyway i'm excited to do the next one yeah man <laughs> dude dude the future yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be bright well heroes never die heroes never die uh bye bye <laughs> bye everybody Garbage. Got online.